Welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein. And boy, do we have an exciting episode for you guys today. We are talking Book of Boba Fett, uh, the newest Star Wars show. And to help me break down this season of TV is my good buddy, Brian Lee, the leader of Earth's Mightiest Weirdos. Uh, frequent host of Babu's freaking podcast and United We Fan. Brian, so happy to have you. Hey, Alex, how are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, doing great. Very, uh, very excited. We are here talking Book of Boba Fett, and uh, this came, I was going to do an episode sooner, but I had only watched the each of the episodes once as they came out each week. And uh, wanted to wait until they were all done before I rewatched all of them. And so my cousin and I did a little binge. We watched uh, we watched the first two, and then the second two, and then the last three. And it played a lot better the second time around. So uh, before we dive into things, uh, overall thoughts from you on the show? I like I I absolutely love two thirds or a third of the show. Absolutely love it as good as anything that the Mandalorian has given us. Um, I really like another third of the show and there's another third that I could personally just do without. Yeah. I almost think I'm right there with you on that. We're going to have to see how that kind of chocks out as we get down to the weeds of it. But yes, I, as I was watching it and after it finished on that, uh, that second viewing, it almost felt like the first three episodes was like the Boba Fett movie that we never got. And so that kind of, you know, it explains where Boba's been, explains kind of what he's doing right now, but we kind of see a lot, maybe way too many flashbacks. Uh, but then from there, we kind of, the next three episodes are the catch-up episodes of like, where's Fennec Shand? Where's, where's Mando? Where's Grogu? And then the last episode is the finale. So when I kind of looked at it that way, it made me appreciate it a little more. But it still is not sneaking past me that there was, uh, you know, some definite issues with this series compared to both of those Mandalorian uh, seasons. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah, I uh, that's a good way to break it down. Like when you say you watched it in in two episode increments and then you watch the final three. Um, I, I will say I've I've done it broken down in a similar manner. And for me the the finale just doesn't hold up to the two episodes that came before it and i don't know if that's necessarily fair as it goes by the way the show went i think it's fair but those two episodes that were more mando focused are a lot i mean that's some of the best star wars we've been given in a very long time so it's kind of hard to i just don't understand quite why they structured the show in which they did but we'll talk more about the finale and why there it fell a little bit flat for me but overall i still really like the show but it's not the mandalorian yeah absolutely even though there were a couple episodes that <laughs> made you wish that it was the mandalorian uh but yeah absolutely so uh let's dive into it uh, we had talked a little bit before we're going to do a little bit of a uh, kind of episode by episode breakdown not into too deep but i wanted to call out kind of the directors too because i think there is impact there i think there's definite in, especially in terms of starting with the first one so stranger in a strange land directed by robert rodriguez uh, and interestingly enough, all of these episodes written by John Favreau, uh, including Dave Filoni on the From the Desert Comes a Stranger. But Robert Rodriguez, he got to direct a couple of those Mandalorian episodes in season two that kind of introduced Boba Fett back into the world. So it almost felt like this was his uh, not necessarily brainchild, but in a sense, like Boba Fett was kind of his character to do. And so I'm glad he got to tell that story. 
but there was a definite feel from Mr. Rodriguez in each of his episodes. And it kind of starting with this one as well of just, I don't know what it was, but it, it felt like at times it was a little too slow. And then at some points it almost felt a little too quick because uh, he likes doing a lot of little quick cuts and, and zoom arounds and that sort of stuff. But this first episode, uh, we kind of get to see how Boba Fett survived uh, the Sarlacc pit, which was interesting. And so you, you may have to help me with this. So he basically survived because he had his helmet on and because he had his best car armor on. But he grabs the uh, the thing from the stormtrooper, his like air tube. So was he not able to breathe before that? So to my understanding, the reason like it's it's deterioration is kind of the way everything happens within the the stomach of the Sarlacc. The best car is what kind of kept him alive. How he didn't suffocate, I'm not 100% sure, and I'm and I'm okay with it. But then being yeah. able to get his oxygen back with the breathing of the tube from the Stormtrooper, like, that worked okay for me. We do know that Beskar is significantly stronger than Stormtrooper armor. Um, he had to have been down there for not that long. The wreckage of Jabba's barge was still smoking when he came up out of there. So, uh, But now we know how a Sarlacc kills what it does. It's just asphyxiation. Um, which we never really officially understood because it's got all those teeth and and all that kind of stuff. You never were really sure. Um, I think a lot of people built this moment up to be something more grand than it actually was. So I think this moment fell flat with some fans. For me, it was fine. It was exactly how Patton Oswalt described it on Parks and Recreation. <laughs> it worked out just fine. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was the same. I Boba Fett is, and maybe we need to talk a little bit about Boba Fett because uh, I, I know everyone kind of has their own relationship to him because he's like the, he's the interesting character that we all wanted to see more of, but we never got enough of in the movies. And, uh, you know, there's always the mystery of, you know, oh, who's the man behind the helmet? And obviously we get the Darth Vader reveal of who's behind the helmet, but we never see who's behind Boba Fett's helmet. And then we jump into the prequels and we find out that, oh, he's a clone or he's the clone of Jango Fett, his son, all this stuff. But we still never get to see Boba Fett as Boba Fett until now, until Mandalorian. And I wonder too, if there's a piece of it where it almost felt like some of the mystique was gone. And that's just almost a natural thing to where, you know, you always are wondering what's behind the curtain. And then the minute you see what's behind the curtain, it's somehow a little less special in some instances. And so I wonder if maybe there was a piece of that there too, of like, we had all built this thing up in our heads of, you know, this is, oh, Boba Fett did this to escape. And this is, and now we, we have this, which is a pretty basic explanation. Again, good enough for, I think, both of us. But I could see where some people maybe got disappointed just because this character has so much, uh, was it mythology almost behind him that people have created in their heads yeah the headcanon that was there and some of that headcanon came from the character they built out in the clone wars as well like he was a teenager right. was running his own bounty operation basically he's got a saj ventress and and yeah, right. all these people working for him um it's it's very interesting and obviously his mentor being cad bane which we'll definitely definitely talk about later in this episode but I coming into this episode or into this show, I was really hoping they weren't going to make the hero turn. And they, they kind of did like, I would, I wanted to see Boba Fett. He still had that bad a quality. Like there's no question about that, that we saw in the Mandalorian. And then we saw it again, even in the first episode of this show, but I don't know, like he softened and they, I think they did a good enough job telling the story and introducing it here in this first episode of who the Tusken Raiders kind of turned him into. Um, and just kind of how he 
survives and, and all that kind of stuff. We obviously don't explore a ton of the Tusken Raider stuff in this first episode, but again, I think everybody had built out this mythology. I mean, on the Star Wars podcast that I'm a part of is Babu's freaking podcast. We did a whole hour long preview of who the character of Boba Fett was before the show came out. And there's all this mythology over a person who has six and a half minutes of total screen time, right? <laughs> from, from episode two, all the way up through episode six. So, I mean, we all had this aff affiliation or the, this admiration of this character that we really knew nothing about. Yeah, that's a great point. And, um, Interesting too that part part of the thing I, I was thinking of as I was watching it was you know he it's it's like he he was a villain and I think we always saw him as a villain but it's it's hard to explain but like in the Star Wars universe these bounty hunters oftentimes not a lot of them are real villains they're more just those shady gray area characters that are just looking to make a buck and so what I I, I kind of thought during the second time around was you know, he just wants to be respected. And I think that's the big thing we kind of catch from this first episode when he's walking down the street with Fennec after they've, you know, gotten to power. And he says, I don't want to rule by fear. I want to rule with respect. And uh, that pays off in dividends at the very end of the season. But it was just interesting because you're absolutely right. I think there was a lot of me included that was like, especially after season two of just Boba Fett is amazing. He's so sick. Look at him go. Look at him do all this stuff. But now it's like, oh, he just wants to rest and relax and rule with respect. But when you think about it, he's been around for a while. And he even says he's, you know, he's been with a lot of bad people, worked with a lot of bad jobs. And I could totally see, you know, he's just a guy who's trying to enjoy his retirement at this point. And so for that, I can appreciate it because even in those moments of stress that he has, like in the finale, when he's dealing with Cad, you see, and he, and Tamara Morrison does such a good job of telling all that story with his eyes, where like when he's stabbing people and he's killing people on screen, which we don't even see in most of the Marvel content. And he is upset and furious while he's doing it. So it's like that fire is still there. But he's just he's dimmed it because he's tired of being in that role. And so I, I respected that. But I did. There were some parts where I was like, man, come on. Every time that they especially in this one, you know, every person comes to pay their respects. She's like, do you want me to kill him? He's like, no. And it was like, oh, come on, just shoot one guy. Come on. But but we get payoffs for some of that stuff as it comes. We do. But as you're as as kind of you're talking through it, like I'm, I'm now not that I've given this a ton of thought because I feel like I would have at least come to this conclusion earlier, but the, the it's genius how John Favreau told this story because when everybody heard the Mandalorian, when they, I mean, the casual star Wars fan sees that Mandalorian armor, they automatically go to Boba Fett. So when you see right. the character of the Mandalorian, most people haven't watched the clone wars. So you're, you automatically see these bounty hunters as these, these bad guys, they work specifically for the empire. We've got, I mean, in empire strikes back, it's IG 88 Bosk. Boba Fett and then the the line from Vader is no disintegrations this time like everything about a bounty hunter doesn't seem good uh so they're really showing you that hey these bounty hunters are just simply out there to make a buck and this is how they're surviving turning them into that Han Solo type character and that's where I think the character of and the story of Din Djarin really helped people make this jump to Boba Fett to being able to see him as not just a bad guy all the time that's a great point, because I think if this series had come out before Mandalorian, it would have been even worse received because people would have been like, who is the, this Boba Fett is so weak. But after you see the Mandalorian and see how he acts and almost see him as kind of a true Mandalorian, because Boba Fett, from what I know, 
and you correct me, he never really went to Mandalore and never was raised by anybody in a Mandalorian culture. He just, you know, was with his dad for a while. And then from there passed on, you know, passed hands to different bounty hunters and, and kind of traders. But in a sense, Mando's almost more of a Mandalorian than Boba Fett is. Yeah, Django, Django was technically not even Mandalorian. He was similar to Din Djarin in that fashion where he was kind of brought in. I don't think Django was a foundling. I apologize. My knowledge doesn't go that deep, but um, he was basically the same as Din where he was a Mandalorian, but not a Mandalorian. Um, and then Boba, clearly, I mean, he's he's a clone. He's, he's literally not right. even a human. So um, there's plenty of times, and you see that in episode eight, of season two of the Mandalorian where Bo-Katan just looks at him and says, I've heard your voice a thousand times under a thousand different helmets. And just, she has absolutely no respect for him whatsoever. That scene made me mad. Now that you mentioned it, I'm getting mad again. I hated when she said that. I was like, how dare you? That is Boba Fett. I love, uh, <laughs> I love Bo-Katan's character. So she, could she Oh, she was so good. That was like the perfect line for her to say. Um, but yeah, so there's that piece and I'm trying to see, there's another little note that I had. Um, well, yeah, so it was a question, really. And I put down, I said, why are you this Tuscan man now? And I said, well, maybe it's because that's who Boba always was, because we only saw him as a kid and then later behind the mask as an adult. And I feel like and I put here that the Sarlacc pit was kind of the final straw for him. And so he gets, you know, he's working his another job for Java and he gets put into this pit and he's like, you know what, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm done working bad jobs. I'm going to go. I've had enough. I've had enough. And so to that, I don't, I don't blame him. I, I, I think there's a lot of people out there that probably feel the same way, different circumstances, but the same but way. So <laughs> ever thought the Tuscans would be the ones to turn him like that. The Tusk, they're like the most, they're the underdogs of the star Wars universe. And they have been really uh, put in the spotlight and shined uh, in these in both in Mandalorian and here. Cause I think Mandalorian kind of cracked the door open in terms of, uh, I think and you're have to correct me on this, but it was a din communicated with him with them through hand signals. If I'm remembering right, wasn't there correct. someone who actually talked to, him, to them though? Din could do a little bit of it. Um, there was the stuff with Cad Bane or not Cad Bane, um, Timothy Oliphant's character and his name. Oh, Cobb okay. Cobb Bain, um, yeah. And yeah, so din din could talk to them, but he couldn't talk to them quite to the extent that Boba can for sure. But din at least had a little bit to be able to do hand signals and, and at least get their attention. But yeah, it's that first, it's that premiere episode of season two with the crate dragon that we start to at least delve into the Tuscans are a little more than just shooting down pod racers. Mm -hmm. Which again, I think, and, and we're going to have a talk about that as well in terms of the setting and the use of characters over and over again. But I think this was one that paid off with dividends of, of going from those people that you hated watching them shoot Anakin's pod racer in, in episode one to uh, where now I, I was so sad when we saw them perish in the third episode. So Massacre um, by Anakin in episode two as well. Like that's yeah, they just keep getting bad life. luck. I, or not but i don't know see when i was watching that as a kid i was like well they asked for it they shouldn't have kidnapped his mom <laughs> but i would love to now get maybe we'll get a six episode mini series explaining what the tuscans were really trying to do with shmi during during that time yeah okay. just title it shmi yeah <laughs> oh yes yeah that sounds great um but yeah so the rest of this episode uh from there he's kind of you know roaming the land he meets uh i, I one of my favorites of new characters garza whip and uh, also the major domo as well. Loved both of those characters. And, uh, but then, yeah, apologies. And he, uh, but from there, some assassins attack 
that we find out are from the mayor's office. Surprise, surprise. Uh, but it puts him into what I think was most people's least favorite part of this series, which was the back to tank. And so suddenly, every time he's in this back to tank, we get flashbacks to his time with the Tuscans. And as a storytelling tool, I thought that that was great. I thought that was a great idea. But as a pacing tool for the series, it was not used well. Because I think, again, everyone was begging for Boba Fett. We were begging for these stories. And especially with the way the story even started, right? Like the story starts with him in the Sarlacc pit, which is what we all wanted. They got that out of the way right away. But then the minute he goes in these back to tanks, I think at least for me, I was like, well, wait a minute. I want to know what he's up to right now. Like we saw what he did with the Sarlacc. I'm good on his past. All I want to know is his present. And so I guess we got to go through that whole song and dance, which again, I think played better on a second viewing. If you're able to binge them all at once, I think that really hurt itself with it being weekly releases. See, I I was actually the exact opposite. When I saw when I jumped into conversations on this show and everybody complaining about the back to tank, I was actually far more interested in learning. I thought they called the, the show, the book of Boba Fett for a reason. I thought we were going to tell the man's life story. So I didn't. Oh, sure. To, I thought we were going to spend more time, maybe pulling some, some animated clone Wars stuff. That is some of the best star Wars storytelling we've gotten and put it in a live action format. And we were going to be able to see a lot more of kind of what made Boba Fett, the man that he is, was there times when he was a teenager running his own bounty guild that he had this softer side to him and he, and it backfired on him. Like I wanted, I wanted, um, is it, I think it's Daniel Logan, I believe is the kid that played him in, uh, the clone wars Mm -hmm. in episode two attack of the clones. Um, I wanted him to potentially show back up as a teenage version of, of Boba and to, to explore far more of his life. So when we, when you have the title, the book of Boba Fett, I genuinely thought it was going to tell the entire book and not just the epilogue post return of the Jedi. So every time he got into the back to tank, I got hopeful that we were going to cover more ground than we ended up covering. So I didn't experience the back to stuff the same way. Um, But because I was so invested in potentially what we were going to get now that I know what we got, I can see the criticisms of it, but it didn't bother me. It didn't bother me a ton. It bothered me a little bit when we met the two hut twins in episode two, and then we went straight to the back to tank. But for the most part, I just wanted to, to learn more about the guy and who he was. No, I think that's a really good point. And I think I might've appreciated it more if they had done that, or if, like I said, as a storytelling tool, the episode starts with him in the, and okay, it does though. It starts with him in the back to tank. And then we get the flashback to the Sarlapic. Make it, he starts in the back to tank and the next three episodes are all flashback and there's no more him cut. Cause I think every time he came back into the present moment, I didn't want him to go back into that back to tank. But while I was watching him in the tank or watching his flashbacks, I enjoyed that. Like it wasn't bad. I just kept wishing we were in the present. So if they hadn't teased us with that, I would have been way more okay with it. And I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. I did think we were going to get a lot more. And that makes me question what's the future for Boba Fett, if we are going to find out more of that, or if they're willing to dive into more than that, because I don't think I've heard anything. And that actor is, is Daniel Logan. Um, oh, nice. And I think I got, I really got teased by it because they showed it on multiple times where it showed him as a kid watching his dad fly away from Camino on in his ship. And it, and it, I just thought we were going to get more of his life. So yeah. um, the back to stuff, it was, they airmailed it hardcore in the fourth episode when they said you're hundred percent healed, like yeah. no more we don't need this anymore. So uh, I mean, it, it's, it's fine, but are we going to get the book of Cobb Vanth next? We don't know. 
Yeah, that would be very, I mean, we are, right? That's kind of what the, <laughs> the end credits is explaining. Uh, but yeah, so I think other than that, I loved the uh, Mortal Kombat Goro character that was in the sand. That guy was really cool. And I forgot and, about that character. Right? I watched this more recently than I have. Yeah, that part was just so cool to watch. And then I also hated that Rodian because they could have gotten away. But at the same time, I love that he got his comeuppance from Goro himself of just getting smacked down. And it was so funny, too, because we were when my cousin was watching, he's like, no, there's no way he's alive after that. And he just he was dead. we were like, no, he can't stand a hit from that. Fun but, fact, that Rodian played by Sam Witwer, who is the voice actor for Darth Maul. No way. The uh, like the Clone War, the newer Clone Wars one, not Ray Park. Uh, yeah, not right. He he was the voice of Maul in Solo as well. Oh, um, nice. Okay. Sam Witwer, yeah, he's the animated voice of Darth Maul in Clone Wars and in Rebels. That's awesome. Good for him. I mean, that was a tough role. That guy was terrible. Uh, but so, yeah, from there, we jump into the second episode. And so that one is The Tribes of Tatooine, which was directed by Steph Green, who I looked up to see, you know, what what made Disney grab her? And she did an episode of Watchmen, which was pretty cool. I don't know if you've seen that show, but she also did an episode of Luke Cage as well. She's just in a bunch of TV and I think she did maybe a movie, uh, but that's about it. So I was kind of curious. I don't know in your wisdom, did you see anything or anything about, you know, why they picked her? I don't know anything about why they picked her other than I know that she's experienced with kind of that that gritty visceral action and Watchmen and, and Luke Cage both kind of have that same, that same style. I know that she's far more uh, experienced in television directing and kind of a one and done kind of deal where she only does 45 minutes. I don't know if there's any particular reason for that or why they, or why they chose her, but I, I really, really like this episode. So I'm glad they chose her. Yeah. She also won, uh, was nominated for an Emmy for that uh, Watchmen episode as well for outstanding directing. So good for her. Um, the second episode, the the kind of gist of this one is in the present. Uh, this is the one with the twins, whom I thought were awesome. Those were really cool. That moment when you start hearing the drums. Uh, oh, we didn't talk about that, too. I loved the scene when Boba walked in to the place and they were like, can we clean your helmet for you? And I was like, don't give them your gear, Boba. They're going to take it. And then they brought it back with all the coins in it. And I was like, nice. That is awesome. Because <laughs> I was just so nervous throughout it that like everybody hated him. And so I loved that the, the club enjoyed him. I'm sure Max loved him too. We didn't really get to see that. But uh, I just thought that was cool. I loved that. Max lives to, to play another day too. I know, right? Where was, where was he during all the, the kerfuffle? We don't know. He's force sensitive. That's, that's right. Yeah, I saw I definitely read some articles about that for sure. Uh, but yeah, so these the huts come into town and they're basically saying, you know, oh, we're, we're coming back to claim what's ours. And Boba's like, I already did. Like, I already did all the killing for you. It's my place. Now you're going to have to kill me. And that's when we see Black Kersantan, who uh, appeared in the Kieran Gillen Darth Vader series uh, in the comics and now is making his translation over to live action. He was awesome. What did you think about Kersantan? He is legitimately my favorite character from this entire series. I thought that that character with what we get when he rips Boba out of the back to tank and just, Oh him, yeah. It, you get shades of, of think of the beginning of Avengers infinity war, where they establish how capable Thanos is by having him not use any infinity stones to fight the Hulk of all people. Right. And, and you learn very quickly that Kersantan, there's nothing about him that you want to trifle with. He's got those laser brass knuckles. He's massive. 
he's like man he's he's awesome and the translation from from page to screen for him is about as good as any character they've ever done yeah i loved all the call outs too to him being like this isn't the uh what did he say the the gladiator ring yep oh it was so good and i've been i don't know why i can't stop saying the sins of tatooine and i don't know (laughs) like every day i find myself just saying that he they were so good but yeah chrysanthemum I, I is this is this controversial? I like him almost better than Chewbacca. Is that you can't do that? You can't look, do that. Look, right here's now. look here's what I'm throwing. I'm going to be th- peppering some of this in throughout the uh, episode to get you off guard. Uh, I thought in terms of understanding him, uh, I liked him better. His eyes, he had like so much more expression in his eyes than Chewie does, and I don't know if that's just the way the makeup is, but it, it felt you know. There's those scenes where he would like turn and like look around or when someone tried to hit him in the back and his eyes just turned i don't know i felt like uh i guess it's, it's probably too soon to say that but only to say that's about how as much as i lo- loved him like he was he sold me in every scene that he's in that that bit in the was it in the third one where he uh he's back at the bar after he's a man without a job and he's back yeah. at the bar oh that was looks yeah, like I think someone it, needs a job actually, i think it's the fourth one even yeah it takes him a little bit to he just needs a job like he runs off but yeah you're right like he tells he tells a story with his face and all credit to Carrie Jones who was the actor in that in that uh entire outfit it was all yeah. practical there was nothing CGI about it it had to be hot 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 in that in that costume man For like, real two sons like, beating down on you are you kidding me <laughs> but he was he was absolutely fantastic but you can't you can't put him above chewbacca I, yeah I, I was doing that like i said i'm trying to rile you up i don't okay. want any, nobody hold me against that that'd be a, that's a conversation <laughs> for another time uh but again really cool that you you don't see boba fight a lot of people but you see him stand his ground a lot and you see a lot of different people not willing to test that and I think this was a really great episode showing that of the twins coming and him just being like, absolutely not. And they're like, we'll talk to you another time. And then they turn around to leave. It's like, yeah, you better run away. And uh, it just was cool. I like that. He didn't have to fire a single shot. And he did the same thing every time where he would do that cool motion with his hand onto his gun and right. uh, yeah. sent, sent such a strong message. Oh, but this- then of course this, yeah, what, this is the episode where he said the twin says, uh, you better sleep lightly from now on. And he says, sounds good. I think I'll do that in my back to tank. And, <laughs> and immediately goes into his back to tank and goes to sleep. And it's like, dude, not a good idea. Not a good idea. But, See, but yeah. at least in this one, like it wasn't like back to and then daily life and then back to again. Like this time it was the the everyday story and then back to for the rest of the episode. So yep. it was a little bit easier to it was it was less jarring it wasn't as much like an episode of the, of lost yeah absolutely and uh but cool still cuz now we learn a little bit more about the pikes in this episode which uh what were your thoughts on the pikes overall as the villains of this season uh one of the biggest problems with the show okay in, in my opinion well, so um, let's dive into it then cuz we're we'll they, start talking about them now i think the i think the twins were far more interesting and the only reason the twins existed was to tease about how scary the pikes are um we know the pikes from clone wars and and rebels i think they're in rebels but we definitely know them from clone wars and we know them most from solo from a live action standpoint we've never even seen them without their masks on so that was pretty cool to see um at some point but they're they're told as these really bad guys and even peli motto puts it as they're they're just bad news 
we never ever really see why they're bad news beyond beyond spice um no. i know spice is very very bad and we don't want that around but beyond that they never really terrified me and they never earned they never lived up to it the only reason the 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 twins existed was to bring us Kersantan and to tease that the pikes were bad people like i thought the the it was a trick. I thought giving them the giving Boba the rancor, all that kind of stuff. I thought it was a trick. I thought the Hut twins were actually going to matter, and yeah. it was just a tease for the Pikes, who are now gone. Like it was not interesting. I wanted somebody pulling the strings for the Pikes, and I would have bet a lot, a lot of money into literally the final credit that Crimson Dawn was the greater crime syndicate behind the Pikes, and it just didn't happen. Yeah, I was thinking that too for a moment, and and again, I think watching it all at once made me sort of think. I'll double check if I had any notes on them, but just the idea that they essentially were like the drug dealers that came into town, and so I, I don't know how much more you need to expect from them, and that's why I think we all thought that there was someone bigger behind the scenes because they really were just like, hey, we're the new drug pushers in town, and we're trying to take over things, and so I think it made for. Uh, it was a lot more of just to drive Boba Fett, right? Because they trick him into thinking that, which again was super dumb because that bite the biker gang, which we see in this episode when he um, is trying to get some bikes for to take down this train that's coming and goes to the place, beats up the biker gang. But then we I find out that we go to the place. Do you know what place he went to? Is that okay? I'm going to guess because I know I feel like you mentioned it. Was, is that the Tashi station? That is Tashi Station. Okay, cool. So was he picking up power converters? But he could have. He could have. So I, what I read, I read that those two people that were in there are from something else. They are from a, they are from an, a deleted scene from A New Hope. Um, wow. Obviously not those same two actors, but they did a tremendous job at casting two people that looked a lot like those two actors from 1977. So if you see, there's, it's a fairly well-known deleted scene now from A New Hope where Luke's got his binoculars and he's staring up at the sky, seeing the space battle that's happening when Vader's oh. chasing down Leia and he's standing at Tashi station. Um, that's where it's taking place. And those two characters, I do apologize. I cannot think of their names at the moment, but I will have that answer while you finish your next thought. Awesome. No, I, and that's funny. I did not know that it was the Tashi station. I thought that that was something completely different. Uh, which is fine. Um, again, those are that's the best part about this because there were so many Easter eggs that you called out on Babu's freaking podcast, which is not just a plug. I'm not kidding. You guys check those out because they did episode by episode breakdowns. And like I, I noticed and I was like, oh, that's that droid looks familiar. But then hearing you guys talk about that being Beatty from Fallen Order, watching it the second time, I was just like, man. Like that, if I'd have known better, I would have probably not liked that episode as much because I would have been like the end of that episode, uh, Cal should have shown up or that he should have shown up in the season sometime because he's in so many different scenes that droid. I was like, there's got to be more to that. But not just that. There were some other things as well, too, like the uh, the pod racing scene, too. But we're getting way ahead of ourselves because yeah, that's, we'll I think, both of our favorite episodes, perhaps. So uh, but from there, he gets these bikes. And he helps and trains the Tuscans who have now kind of accepted him into their tribe uh, to ride these bikes so that they can take down the train. And I'll call out at this point too. I love their use of not just of tattooing. We're going to talk about that later, but of the spice itself, especially coming so soon after Dune last year, 
uh, which I loved and immediately went and read the book. But then when I was reading, I'd forgotten that Star Wars lore wise, George Lucas was really inspired by samurai culture, but also by Westerns. But then what was interesting, I watched this documentary called Jodorowsky's Dune, which I don't know if you're familiar with. It's a, a guy who made this really, he basically spent like way too much money designing and producing the Dune movie. And this was before even the original old Dune. And they were like, hey, we want you to take a look, see what you can do. And he went nuts. He There's apparently like these giant books of just concept art and all this crazy stuff way ahead of its time. And they basically looked at it and said, this is, we can't make this. Like this is too, but this would cost us too much money. We don't know if people are even going to like it, but it was based off like that. George Lucas pulled some of that into Star Wars. And they had this whole section where so many different movie like producers and directors pulled from Jodorowsky's Dune to make their movies of the time. Like he inspired so much. And so part of that was the whole idea of Luke uh, is straight from Paul as well of like the main character with just one name living on a desert planet. The spice is literally the same as spice. So I was really happy for that because I, I you know, I love Dune. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm down with the spice. We get to see it. It looks really fancy. And uh, we get that great scene too, after they, they beat the train off, uh, down and he he's got them all uh, listed out. And he's like, one of you needs to start talking about, you know, if you have any spice on here, I swear to God. And then the one, the one Tuscan kicks over the box and all the spice there is like, this is not going well for you. Is <laughs> he says that right. I was, I couldn't stop laughing when he said that. I thought it was great. Yeah. Uh, Cammy and fixer the name of those two characters. Um, nice. Okay. You skipped when they're talking, when he's training, I, I thought everything about it could have gone oh. really backwards really quickly. But I thought him training the Tuscans on how to use those speeders was laugh out loud funny as it was yeah. supposed to be yeah. like a bantha. Like, like a bantha. So Go. Funny. Stop. Yeah. It and was then, cool too. We got to learn some sign language, some some Tuscan sign language. Yeah, and of course the one goes on there, and you know it's about to happen that he's gonna go backwards, and it happens, and it still works. Uh, I think that the train scene was an absolute blast. We learned yes. how capable that that one Tuscan Raider is. I don't know her name other than the fact that she is the stunt double for Carol Danvers in Captain Marvel. Oh, nice. Uh, so she she's awesome. The way she just makes her way through the train and then pops the roof open and then kind of sticks her head out and just kind of sees who's next. I thought that was all really, really great stuff. It was all inspired by Lawrence of Arabia um, and just the amount of things that they pulled in from old films and, and that they used for inspiration. I thought that this episode, that train scene, I preferred that train heist scene over the one in solo for sure. Now they are fairly comparable in certain things, but I thought this one was, just a lot more interesting and that the people were a lot more capable. No offense to Chewie or Han or anybody else. But I thought that this train high scene, I thought the droid driving the train was cool. I thought everything felt really Star Wars-y. It, oh, really, yeah. it really worked for me. Yeah, that droid driving the train was really fun. I agree. I think I like this train sequence a lot more. Uh, and part of that, kind of to what you're saying, is like Han, Chewie, they were they were kind of doing a job, right? Like they were going to get something. Whereas this was an inspirational moment for the Tuscans in taking back their land. So there's so much more riding on it than what was riding on that, you know, pun intended riding on that train scene. Uh, so when they're up there and they're fighting, like you can, you sense the stakes because a couple of them get shot even as they go. And you're like, and they just spent all that time training them and now they're dead. But then yeah, when, when she comes around and just 
whips around and jumps up onto the train and just starts taking people out. Oh yeah, that was so cool. The one thing I was curious about though, and maybe you can answer this for me, how did all of those Tuscans not only catch up to the train, but uh, you know, they're monitoring it from the dunes and from the sins of Tatooine. How, like that train's moving way too fast for them to be, and they, you know what I mean? It stopped and blew up and suddenly all of them run from where they were. And I was like, how'd they get there that fast? That's pretty interesting. They must be quick in the sand. Joanna Bennett is the actress. Joanna who Bennett, nice. That Tuscan Raider and the stunt double for Brie Larson. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm okay with it. I've, I've the, yeah, it wasn't the, that big a deal. The droid, the droid bailed and the train started going in circles. That's 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 what I'm going to go with. Nice. Yeah, and then we get the really cool scene with the lizard, which uh, played well for me both times. I really like seeing that uh, in terms of just a weird sort of uh, trance sequence almost because it's like, oh, we have a gift for you. And it's just a little lizard in there. And my cousin was like, oh, cool. He gets a pet. And I was like, eh, I don't know about that. And then the lizard goes right into his nose. He was like, oh my God. Uh, but it was cool. And then by the end of it, you know, when he comes back, he's like, I thought that lizard was part of the dream. <laughs> so it was, great. It was trippy. You talk about, you talk about the Tuscans like the amount of Tuscans that were dying for this greater cause, the, the, the community that the Tuscans have that we were really introduced to in the Mandalorian when the crate dragon is they, they were willing to sacrifice, sacrifice themselves for the greater good. And they did the same thing within here. And then because Boba was also willing to put his life on the line is where they, they really give him this lizard. They give him this ability to now go find his own, his own way that he can turn it into his own gaffy stick and all that kind of stuff. Like they really adopted him into the culture because he was willing to put himself out there and be a man of the people, which is the entire point of this entire series. Exactly. Same thing too, in terms of him uh, earning respect, because you see that through the first three episodes of, I think, I don't know if they ever gave a name, but like the leader, you know, in the first episode, they don't want anything to do with Boba. And, you know, there's even that part where he, he wants some water and they don't even give it to him. And then by the third episode, they're like, having dancing with him and giving them the stick. And so it was, it was really cool to see that. And again, I think it just goes back to Boba Fett's character of, of, I get that we didn't get the character we thought we should have gotten, but this is a really strong character in the star Wars universe. Cause I can't think of another warlord or someone of this in power who cares so much about his people and wants to rule with respect. And I'm just, yeah, like, I'm trying to rack my brains. I don't think I don't think there's any other one. Like there's always another, you know, another side hustle that they're doing. Or, I mean, look at the mayor. It's, it's the definition of the difference between the mayor and him of him. Just, he just wants to do what's right. And he doesn't really care how he gets that done, which is where the gray area comes in. But other than that, like he's a really good guy and he, he cares about the people he cares about. Yeah. That, that dance sequence at the end is, is really powerful stuff. I think it's really interesting storytelling and the way they're able to tell a story without any words. Yes. hundred percent agree with you. Yeah, and that's diving us into, well, no, that's the end of, of that second episode. So uh, we move in, and it's funny too, is saying here, he doesn't wake up from Kersantan until this episode, but so you probably called that. So this one's The Streets of Mas Espa, directed again by Robert Rodriguez. So he's back, he took a break, and now he, he's back in. Uh, we get what the watermonger in this one, and this brings up my first and one of my biggest nitpicks of the season. Why did we get a poster of the warmonger, Brian? Because <laughs> they still was Sabler. I'm just it. I was thinking like, okay, is he going to be in another episode? And no, he's only in there for five minutes. But it's just, it, 
I've talked about it on multiple episodes. I'm not a fan of Disney's marketing strategies. And this, this series was good with that in terms the of, amount of the amount of posters. Yeah. Like it kind of started with Loki and it's, and it's never stopped that they feel like they have to put out a poster. Like the major Domo didn't need a poster either. Like we needed a poster. No. for Benic, We needed a poster for Kersantan and you can give me a poster. I don't think we got one for Danny Trejo, but I would have taken it. That would have or a Rancor poster would have been cool too. I suppose. I suppose. Um, but yeah, but didn't we get curse or didn't we get Fennec and Boba posters during season two of Mandalorian? I'm sure we did, yeah. And they they look identical, right? Because this takes place like a week after that season. So uh, didn't yeah, didn't make sense. But either way, uh this watermonger comes to Boba Fett and asks him for help, says, Oh, people are stealing my water. And we find out that these people are the mods, the mod squad in their shiny fancy bikes, their Power Ranger bikes. Uh, I'm curious, Brian, uh, has that changed? Has your thoughts changed at all on the mod squad? No. Um, and especially after the finale, I really disliked their character. I understand what they were going for. If we had these teenager hipster kids who want to be part of Coruscant. So they do everything in their life to look like they're part of Coruscant when they actually live in the outer rim of Tatooine and everything's dirty. Uh, I thought they were completely uninteresting. I don't know why Boba would hire them because they were fairly unproven at the time. Um, I, I think that the chase, especially when you watch it back to back with the train heist scene, and then the chase of the major domo, it's laugh out loud, ridiculous, uh, with how slow it is, uh, everything around the power ranger mod squad. There's nothing about it that worked for me whatsoever, especially because I had talked myself into the main girl. I can't remember her name, um, being Dr. Afra. And that absolutely did not happen. So <laughs> I remember it, you uh, saying she, that. she could not have been any farther from being Dr. Afra. And I I thought the mods were were the weakest part of this show. And and it really bums me out. We haven't talked about it too much. Uh there was the three weakest episodes of the series were all directed by the same person. And it was the executive producer and Robert Rodriguez. And I really struggle with some of some of his his one episode that he got in season two of of Mandalorian as well, which was, there's a really, that's a really great episode. There's so much going on, but Robert Rodriguez, he just, he's, he's not paying too, he pays not enough attention to detail where he just, <sighs> season two of the Mandalorian episode six, we get the return of Boba Fett, which everybody loses their mind over. There's some really great action. There's no doubt that he does great action, except for this chase scene with the Vespas and the, the major Domo, but he's he's got mando at gunpoint and it's you need to put down your gun or fennec's going to shoot the child and then it becomes mando has to put down the jetpack for whatever reason like all of a sudden mando just has right. to put down the jetpack and the whole reason for that is so mando doesn't have the jetpack to chase after the dark troopers when they have the child at the end but there's there i i can't make that mental leap of why all of a sudden mando has to put his gun down and now he has to put down the jetpack he just doesn't pay attention to that kind of detail. Mando constantly, I think Mando tries four times in that episode to break that force field around Grogu when he's meditating and like knocks himself out. Like it just doesn't work for me. He doesn't pay attention to all those details. Sure, the action sequences are great, but his episodes struggle from a logic standpoint. And that carried over into this into this show. The three weakest episodes, in my opinion, were the three episodes that he directed in it. And it bums me out. And I just... I didn't care about the mod squad to answer your question on the tangent that I went on. 
No, and I, I, it's interesting you say that because I felt the same way. I think those, in my opinion, were the, the weakest of them as well. I do want to get in on that, that mod squad race, though. I hadn't thought about it before, but for any of you out there who like Family Guy, it reminds me of that one where uh, Peter goes, quick, boys, to your rascals. And then they all <laughs> get on the rascals and chase after the other guy in the rascal. Uh, it, <laughs> it was insane. I mean, in watching it a second time, it felt a little better. The, I'll say the pill was easier to swallow the second time around, but I still was wondering, and I, I was trying really hard, Brian. I was trying really hard to like them. There was even a spot where I was like, ooh, that's kind of maybe a redeeming quality. In the last episode, we see the person from Freetown who confronts that leader of the mods. And, and you know, they have like a little two-line tension where she says something like, oh, you think you're too good for us? And it's like, oh, I see. There's some class warfare going on. But again, Two lines of dialogue do not save your character when you've put no other development in. And then, you know, when the guy does his little spin around in the episode and fires his gun and in the other one where he's talking about, he says, keep an eye on it. Oh, sorry. He's like, no, that's that's what I do it for. I think I almost feel like the only reason they were in there was to make it make more sense when they take Fennec to get her own mods. 100 percent uh, and, and how Cobb Vance gonna live. Yes, and and honestly, if that's what we I'm fine with it. If that's that's basically my thoughts on them. I didn't like outright hate them, but if we never see them again, I'm okay with that. If you know there's a, a, a predator drone missile that hits the temple the minute that Boba and Fennec are gone and just the bot squad's there, uh, I'd be okay with that. If 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 Lucasfilm listens to anything from their fans, which May or may not happen. Um, I would expect if there's a season two of this show that they are very much taking a backseat. I cannot imagine we're going to get a Mod Squad series. And again, they, and I know it's because they wanted those bits of dialogue in that final episode, but I'd have picked the pigs over them. And I'll say, I'll say that the Gamorrean but, guards, come on. When they fell off that clip, I felt so sad because I was like, these guys, they don't talk. They don't do anything. They don't ask for much. They they're just loyal, and here you have these mod squatters that we could have just tossed them off that cliff. I'd have been okay with that. Oh man, yeah. But we'll uh, talk more about them in the final episode. Yes, yes, we will. Yeah. So from here, though, yeah, essentially in this episode, we find out that he uh, he goes to um, what was it that he even does? He goes uh, to see. Oh, he goes to the Pikes, and he's like, "Hey, you're gonna pay us the toll now." And, you know, they lay ancestral claim on these sands of Tatooine. And he's like, ah, well, I'm already. And this part, I actually agreed with the Pikes because he was like, I'm already paying someone for protection. It does not make sense for me to pay for two people. I was like, he's got a point. And Boba's like, kind of was like, I will deal with this myself. And then he leaves. I was like, yeah, you will, Boba. OK. But so then he leaves. And when he gets back, all of them are massacred. And there's a spray painted sign for the biker gang on the edge. And we get a really sad scene of him burning everything. I thought for a second he was burning his own gaffy stick too, but it looked identical to his and it wasn't. But he does that. He leaves on a bantha and then he is awoken by Kersantan for sleeping too long in that back to tank. I swear he, that's like when I'm charging my phone, Brian, he had to have been at like 89% at that point. He was so close, just a couple more minutes, but he gets pulled out. And I, I did like the mods in that scene because they come to his rescue. It felt good to see the trust that he has instilled in these random strangers finally paying off. You got the Gamorrean guards helping out, the mods are helping out. And even to that point, you've got like five people helping out and they still are not enough to take down Kersantan. Uh, but they get to the point where he conveniently steps in just the right spot in the sand where Fennec says, wait, and presses a little button and he falls into the pit. 
which was awesome. I thought that was great. Obviously, we knew that there was no Rancor there at the time, uh, but that set up us getting a Rancor by the end of this episode, which was great. So we see the twins again. They bring a gift, uh, a, two gifts, actually, Danny Trejo and the Rancor, uh, which was a perfect combination. We learned so much about, um, about the Rancor during this bit, which I think was, again, something no one was asking for. But it reminded me of that episode of, I think it was Rebels, when they had to save the baby Rancor. Do you remember that Bad, one? Bad Batch. Uh, oh, yeah, there you go. That was, it was Bad Batch, yeah. So uh, I was like, Gucci. I know I see it. Yeah, uh, and I liked that episode a lot. I was like, oh, this cute little Rancor, like, he doesn't want much. And so I loved their uh, their characterization and explanations of, like, you know, they're actually really loving creatures, and they, they're very emotionally complex, and, uh, you know, that they, they bond with the first person that they see and Boba getting so excited because he wants to ride it. And uh, I think you had mentioned this, too, about, you know, he says, I've re- rode bigger, which I think was a, a callback to the Christmas special. Am I right? Yep. yep. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the first appearance of Boba Fett where he's riding a mythosaur um, in the 1978 holiday special, the Pike boss that you talked about. Uh, portrayed by Phil Lamar, who is no way a massive, massive uh, voice actor. Yeah. My favorites are from Star Wars: The Clone Wars. He was Bail Organa and Kit Fisto. But oh, Phil nice. Lamar, he also played the Clatoonian boss that Mando chops the head off of in the fifth episode. Um, but Phil Lamar, big time Star Wars guy. That's so awesome. yeah, the, the I mean, shout out to Tamara Morrison as well. Like I'm significantly younger than him. You could not pay me to film a scene fighting a Wookiee in tidy whities like, oh, yeah. And like, like you said, he was at least 89%. He was probably closer (laughs) to like 95% full at this point. But like, I I actually thought that them ripping him out of the the back to tank and the water spilling everywhere, you kind of get an understanding of more just how the technology of a back to bath works, which I appreciated. But just Chrysanthemum was awesome, man. Like, and we, this is the second time we've teased that Rancor pit because we did it with the with the guard that they caught at the end of the first episode. And mm-hmm. there's no Rancor in there. But yeah, like you said, Danny Trejo, I'm here for the softening of a Rancor. And you it actually makes a ton of sense why the guy in Return of the Jedi, like the Rancor trainer, is actually very, very sad that Luke killed his Rancor. Right. Like like he actually had this emotional connection and you and you don't think that you can form this emotional connection with these animals. And I, I mean, having Danny Trejo tell me about that is about as cool as, as I could have imagined. I would have loved to have seen more of the training of the Rancor, um, which we'll talk about when we get to the final episode. But yeah, I like I was all for that. But again, the fact that this is the last time we saw the Hut twins and they literally are actually going back to Nalhutta and just giving a Rancor because it's just too heavy for the carry on luggage. Like, I don't quite understand why we went that route but to give boba rancor like i'm all i'm all for it i thought it was i thought it was really fun and the fact that trejo was the was the trainer worked really well for me and seeing the softer side of that rancor worked worked perfectly for me yeah when he uh he walks away and he's like don't worry he'll be back uh and it was just like just so cool but you know it's funny that this almost is the uh polar opposite in terms of robert rodriguez to where the logic doesn't make any sense, but we don't care. We're like, this yeah. is awesome. This is great. Yeah, yeah, I, wait, so they, these yeah. really scary huts that we have seen in movies and in Clone Wars, in the comics, never once have they been portrayed as anything less than terrifying. 
show up, see Boba Fett, and go, yeah, okay, here's a Rancor. Sorry for your trouble. Also, here's Kersan too. And it was like, okay, so who knows though? Maybe there will be more. Maybe someone will feed off of that in another season of something that they were all doing that. They were doing that for a purpose or something like that. Who knows? Maybe there's a a, a chip in the Rancor that they click and he turns into a bad guy or something. I hope It's not, like but... execute order 67. Yes, exactly. There's, a, yes. <laughs> yeah, order 67, exactly. Um, I'm yeah. Boba just simply going, I want to write it. Like immediately. I like, want to write it. it. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I want to write it. Like I thought that was fantastic. He got so, and that's the other thing too. Again, I get that this wasn't, this wasn't your daddy's Boba Fett, but like seeing him get so excited about that Rancor warmed my heart. Like I was just like, dude, you're a good guy at heart. Like you just, he just, I mean, he even said it in Mando, right? He, he's a simple man who uh, is just traveling the galaxy. And it was like, he really is. He's just, he's just trying to relax. Uh, but this episode ends with uh, them again, surprise, surprise, figuring out this is all the mayor's fault. And so they go down to talk to the mayor we get our very slow rascal chase scene, and then the pikes arrive in Mos Espa as Boba Fett decides it is time for war. And so from there, again, your Boba Fett movie is over. It is complete. And I was more than happy for that. And you could almost argue that this fourth episode is like the epilogue, but I still like kind of calling it the backstory for Fennec Shan because she is... Uh, terribly underutilized in the first three episodes. I mean, we barely even talked about her and she had some pretty cool scenes. Ming-Na Wen is just a gem. Uh, Great to see her from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And funny enough, to see her from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. getting such a great showing in this episode directed by uh, Kevin Tancheronin, who directed some Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episodes. Uh, Quite a few, actually, at the very beginning of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Him and his sister, who's married to Jed Whedon, uh, Marissa as well. Uh, So that was cool. I really liked this episode. I thought this one was great. Any time that we get to see Boba Fett's ship is a good episode. And we got to see a ton of it here. So um, we find out again, though, this is the backstory of Fennec. So after she gets shot in Mando, uh, he saves her, takes her to the mods. We see Thundercat playing the mod man who uh, heals her, puts some stuff in her. I love this comment, too. And he's, he's like, are you going to sew that up? And he's like, uh, no, man, that's my art. Like, I, I want to I show yeah i want to show my work off it was like that's so cool but yeah i love that she was a little confused by it too maybe maybe didn't like it a little bit but i could i'm sure she wasn't complaining knowing that she was alive uh beyond her being a badass in this episode i loved her loving boba fett and i don't know if love's the right word but just that growing respect just the same as he wants from everyone else to where you know in the end of it she's like where are we going to go next or like what's next and after she was begging to kind of leave and i just want to be on my own but uh i'll i'll let you kind of dive into some of the other pieces because i'm saving the ship portions because i know that's those are my favorite parts of this episode she's awesome and if she's going to be our connective thread through the rest of the star wars galaxy she popped up in the bad batch going after mega like if she's going to be our connective thread like i'm all for it like i half expected them to like have a discussion on the fact that omega exists and she's technically boba's sister and like why has star wars introduced omega now at this point what's the grander story because i feel that there is one but that's neither here nor there at this point in time but she's awesome like we all we know and that episode episode five season one of the mandalorian when she's introduced is the weakest episode of that show yep hands down no question i think that that episode really struggles all due respect to Dave Filoni. I do not care for that episode much at all, but she's introduced as this bounty hunter who is not to be trifled with. 
discount bin Han Solo tries to anyway is successful in killing her, but it's just, we learn why she's so capable. The amount of tools that she has, that little droid that she can send in to take basically a map of the entire place. I thought awesome. Yes. Uh, Just where all the people are. Um, I'm, I'm here for Grievous, the chef droid. Like I thought that was hilarious when it was spinning all the knives. Like I thought all that stuff was a lot of fun. The little mouse droid um and that little rabbit droid that we've seen in clone wars to see it make the jump to the live action and like you said whenever the whenever boba's ship makes an appearance i'm here for it that moment when the bikers are riding in the sand and just in the distance you see that little black dot and it just gets bigger and bigger and i was like especially on the second time around i was like let's go and he just rips into absolutely everybody and then fires his missiles at the other one and then he just looks at fennec and just and she just nods at him and he just nods right back and they keep flying like and i don't really cool with it even though they oh, didn't yeah. even kill the tuscans <laughs> like, you know they what they, be, they ruined the reputation and uh, the establishment of the tashi station and i think that's punishable there you that. go so that's that's good enough for me but then yeah it goes from there to him landing at the sarlacc pit which in my opinion was the weakest part of this episode because he's Point like right. i'm going to get my ama it was like were you unconscious the entire time that you escaped the sarlacc pit like you were wearing your armor dude and the jawas took it from you and do you not remember waking up and the jawa knocking you back out like that part i got i was actually really upset when i was watching that because every time he inched closer and closer i was like they're not in there and then of course fennec the one who shaves saves the day drops the seismic charge Really happy to see that, and then don't touch my buttons. <laughs> well, I was gonna say it totally pays off when we get this. Oh yes, and I'm so happy we got that here on recording. But yeah, well. I'm I'm completely with you. It made absolutely no sense. The I didn't get it, and he it, goes back in afterwards. Yeah, from seeing inside the the Sarlacc and the ship kind of coming over it, like the visuals were awesome. Oh yeah, the entire thing like. Think about how strong Lando was, though. Like Lando Calrissian gets its, his leg wrapped by the Sarlacc and it can't pull him down. Yet the Sarlacc can pull down the entire ship. Mm-hmm. I was curious, too. That ship's upside down. So is it like reverse thrusting to get up? Because all those thrusters are pointed you know, at the top. So there's nothing below it that would be pushing it back up. It would have to be Star Wars stuff that I don't understand. But. Uh, yeah, it don't was think about it too hard, but yeah, like yeah, I, that I was, won't. it was super silly. I don't know why, why I guess, I, I mean, I guess he was dehydrated, unconscious, whatever, why he couldn't remember, but which is weird. Cause he was in the back to tank and he remembered everything else, <laughs> right? He could have remembered <laughs> that part too. Right? He should have remembered it. Yeah, I exactly. will say that the, the, the change they made with his character of just how much better that armor looks when he's wearing the black like undergarments versus the white undergarments that we saw him wearing in the first episode. And then just throughout, uh, throughout empire strikes back and everything. Oh yeah. The black underneath his armor looks, makes him look so much cooler. Like I just wanted to throw that out there. Also the other thing, and I don't know, I think I like it. I don't, it's not that I have a bad thing about, but I did notice it's like the armor looks way too new. And I don't know if that's because they cleaned it, but it looked like very, very crisp. Obviously, he's got the the knock in his head. Well, they did Cad. clean it between episode six and episode seven, and maybe that's what it is. Maybe in the uh, in the movie, repainted it. Repainted it. Yeah. yeah, which is I, I'm cool with that because yeah, it looks absolutely great, and I love, especially we're getting so close to it, but like the difference in his armor between him and Mando, and getting yep. to see them side by side, the little the little ticks. 
Uh, so yeah, so from there, uh, we get the best scene in the entire series. Uh, Fett emerges from the back of the tank. He's 100% healed. <laughs> and we are all, I, I just, you know that that's what they, you know, you are 100% healed. I'm like, you are 100% done with flashback sequences, which was great to see. It made me feel really good. Uh, but then, yeah, he goes and sees Kersantan fighting the Trandoshans. We get to see a Wookiee arm rip, which I don't think we've could Chewie did that, right, in Solo, maybe? He did it in the elevator in Solo, yep. Okay, yeah. Always nice to see that. I loved also uh, Garza. Oh, man. I don't care if you're a Wookiee or what. If Garza's coming up to you and whispering the things that she said to him, I'd have been like, yeah, I'll just, I'll go. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. She, wow, what a way with words. She had a silver tongue. Oh, so I loved it. Like she's just trying, to, you know, this, I know. Right. Well, and he, you could tell he would, I knew it got to him and he was like, she's right. But also screw all of you guys. And then still, I'm going to do it anyway. Cause he does not like being told what to do. Well, and he doesn't like the Trandoshans and the Trandoshans don't like him. So why yep. do we put him with the Trandoshans to watch over them in the final episode? Yeah. Oh, and so that gets to, again, ironically the weaker part of the series we now see him having dinner with all of the other people and they're all like why should we even bother helping you oh it's because we're eating dinner over the rancor pit oh okay well we still don't (laughs) want to help you what if what if i did it all on my own and you just remain neutral oh yeah sure whatever okay cool all right let's eat up it's like you know they're gonna be and she kind of even calls it out she says something like I don't buy it or something like that. He's like, yeah. we will, we'll see. Like, I just hope they stay away. It was like, no, you know, they're not going to stay away. These guys are thugs. My other favorite part about the Trandoshans is they always just look so nervous. Like somebody. Oh, yes. <laughs> Eyes are so big. Yeah, I appreciated that too. Um, but yeah, so they, and then Fennec uh, suggests that they hire reinforcements and we get the for uh, the Mandalorian, which uh, was exciting uh, seeing that live. But I got to tell you. So, okay, we're, we're getting into it. Episode five, Return of the Mandalorian. Uh, and I know it doesn't come till the end of the episode, but I swear that first viewing, I was hooked. I was engrossed more so than any of the other episodes, more so than almost all of the other Mandalorian episodes as well. Obviously, there's some really great Mandalorian episodes, but I was just, and then the minute that it ends and you see Bryce Dallas Howard, I got chills. And I was just like, I don't know what it was, but it felt like that was a turning point for her. And I don't know how else to describe it, but I was just like, she is a really good director is all I could think of when I saw that on the screen. I don't know if I would call it the turning point for her only because I think the first episode she did in season one of, of Mando, which was episode four, which was the introduction of Cara Dune and that ATST and that them training the village and the stuff with the ATSD, I think some of that episode is actually really strong. I think some of the episode, not so much, but she also did episode three of season two, which was the introduction of Bo-Katan. And I think that that episode is extremely strong. So for me, that's the turning point um, in my point, but this, this episode is where you can see she's got it figured out. Yeah. The The way this entire episode is filmed like honestly i'm not one i'm not going to lose my mind over that whole one shot that we get like when he goes up the elevator and we follow him into the club and we follow oh him. yeah it was a little slow like, 
I don't think that like people say that's like cinematically, it's just so impressive, but I mean, we've seen it in Avengers Endgame with Hawkeye. We've seen it in black Panther. We've seen it in multiple yeah. other, like we saw it in Loki, like it was better in Loki than it was here. Like I, from a, but I don't make movies. So I understand how difficult that that was, but it wasn't like, I don't care that much about that kind of stuff, but the way she kept the story moving, the fact that we got, a 50 minute episode of Din Djarin and Din Djarin alone, which was basically the season three premiere. We got the return of, of the, the armorer, which that character is one of my absolute favorites. Oh yeah. Um, if she's going to take a villain turn in season three, I am very much here for it. Um, we got Paz Visla. We got tons of lore of the dark saber and everything that came with it. But like, to your point, Bryce Dallas Howard, she is in this and she's in it to stay. We're definitely going to get an episode, at least one from her, if not two in season three. Oh, good. Yeah. I just, man. And every, I agree with everything you said. I mean, this is the episode where I think we're, we're going to have to spend, we're going to spend a lot of time on this episode. So um, yeah, from the opening of the entire bounty killing and just, when he's like, there's got to be, you know, we can come up with some sort of arrangement. And he's like, yeah, I can bring you in warm or I can bring you in cold. And I was just like, oh, this is what a good callback. And then he kills everybody by slicing them in half. And, uh, you well, know, in and the entire does he does he not have the dark saber? like the way they kept that like it wasn't on yep. his belt, the way they kept that in. And then you're three minutes in and we're in this massive fight scene where it comes out and Din has no idea how to use it. And he's yep. still using it. It was so good. Yeah, just incredible. And then from there to uh, him walking out and saying, like, if you let me if you do me the honor of letting me pass, I'll uh, you can have whatever you feel like is fair in there. And they all let him go. And it was just so great bringing the head back. You know, I'll come sit down. He's like, no, give me the information that I want, which was interesting. So it almost felt like he was seeking he was obviously seeking them out the the other mandalorians but it was like he found maybe where they were and was doing jobs in the area to try and figure like i just that whole process i thought was so cool and not just that but the fact that the place he was at was literally like halo uh from the video games was just incredible the music was great the just the shots of space of them sitting on the edges and just looking out at space when she, when he's training with her and she knocks him off and he's just gone for a little bit. And then his black, you know, he shoots back up with his, just everything was perfect. I, I have like no complaints about this episode besides I'll agree that that opening was a little slow, but I did enjoy it. Like I was like, okay, this is cool. I see yeah, what they're trying yeah. to do. I don't want it to be gone by any stretch. I think you get a really good view of his costume. Like you were talking about how cool his armor is. He's still yep. got the scar spear, which really bums me out that that's gone now. I Hopefully know. all the dark troopers are gone. Uh, but it, man, just the amount of, it's why I love the Clone Wars so much because there's so much lore and mythos. And if you just throw out the name of Pre Visla, like I'm in, like in just telling all about what the Darksaber is, catching up the rest of the audience to what's going on because they've seen it now since Moff Gideon had it in the finale of season one and right. they've never really they've explained it but they haven't and then this is where they're telling you like you think you understand Star Wars and you think Dave Filoni's just forgot that Bo-Katan was handed the Darksaber no like this is the whole story we're building out is Bo-Katan knows she can't just be given it from Din Djarin because she's been given it twice now by Ahsoka Tano and then again by Sabine Wren in Rebels and she keeps losing it. And she, like Bo-Katan's the reason Mandalore fell. 
and she has no respect for her whatsoever, especially when it comes to the Darksaber. So this is when people think they've outsmarted Dave Filoni, when in reality, he's got it all kind of figured out as to what story he wants to tell. But I just, everything with the armor and him fighting over, like the fact that the armor lets him keep the Darksaber, even though he's no longer a Mandalorian in her eyes, which is interesting. We can do a lot more with that later on with season three, but just, I, I loved everything about it in a roundabout way. Um, I know there's more we're going to talk about, but I, I loved it. I loved all of this stuff that took place on this Dyson sphere. I don't know the name of the planet, but the fact that it had day and nighttime, <laughs> like just through this cycling planet, I thought it was really, really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, as I was watching it down there in the, uh, I don't even know what you want to call the underbelly. Uh, I just kept thinking to myself, this is, this is how, like in my head, I said, this is how you continue Star Wars. Because when you think about all of the annoyances that people have had of like, oh, there's too many Easter eggs, there's too much fan service. But at the same time, we want that, though. We want some Easter eggs. We want some fan service. We just don't want it overdone. And so how do you do that? You dive into the lore of this thing. Like, not everything revolves around the Skywalkers. What better thing than to talk about something that's been around for thousands of years, this Mandalorian society and culture. And so, Brian, uh, we talked about a couple of times. You talked about Fennec Shan being a through line. We talked about something else being a through line. That's my guess. And I'm sure a lot of us have talked about that. I'm sure you've talked about it, too, of like, that's where this is all leading to. I don't know if this is season three of Mandalorian or if it's further down the line, but taking back Mandalore of having Bo-Katan there, having the, the uh, armor, having Paz Vizsla, having Mando, Fennec, Boba, all of these people, they're all leading to this giant fight of them. I mean, again, like Boba, now he, he can, he rules with respect. He can muster an army that will help them. You've got him learning how to use his dark saber. I loved that he doesn't have a spear anymore. Cause to me, that was the guarantee that he officially has the dark saber. Now it's not going to be taken from him because he can't have two, you know, spear type sword weapons. Like he can only have one. So I just saw so many things in this episode where I was like, this is leading to something big. And that's why they threw it in this season is because Boba Fett's part of it. Fennec's a part of it. All of these people are a part of it in some way. And it's going to be this big, huge story that, you know, connects all these different star Wars shows. That's where my money's at. Yeah, I, I think it's all but confirmed that uh, season three is the taking back of Mandalore. Oh, I'm good. far more interested in in the taking back of Mandalore and all that kind of stuff. The fact that we got to not only hear about it, but see the Night of a Thousand Tears. Yes, or, and that flashback was better than the all the Boba Fett flashback. No offense to those. Those were great. Give, give them an 8 out of 10. That was a 10 out of 10. We get to see bomber ships dropping yep. actual bombs. We get to see those. Uh, were they dark troopers or were they just bigger droids? Literally killing people. I think they were like K two droids, like K two SO kind of type. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right. It was straight out of Terminator, like insane. But so we saw. We saw that. I I hope that season three is more about taking back Mandalore, and and Din kind of figuring out who he is. I don't want to spend the entire season three of him trying to redeem himself in the eyes of the armorer. I would be much more interested in Din kind of figuring out. Hey, like. These dudes are Death Watch. They're not exactly great people. And him, like yep. there being a battle for Mandalore with with the Death Watch clan of the armor and them and him and Boba doing their thing. I'd be far more interested in that rather than him going to the mines to, I think he's going to get to the mines and I think he's going to try to redeem himself and he's going to find out, why do I need to redeem myself in the eyes of these people? Like I'm literally the king of Mandalore now. Like what do I need them for? Like I... I, I want to take my helmet off for lack of a better term. Like, I think there's going to be multiple 
emotional aspects. I think the stuff we got in Mando season two, when he decides to take his helmet off to save Grogu, I think that was the start of it. And I think we're going to get a lot more of it. And I'm very, very excited about what season three set up and the fact that he has a new ship to do it with. Oh, oh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, so yes, as you were saying, uh, the, which again, didn't make sense to me at all. Pause Vizsla is like, all right, you know what? I want to fight you. This part made sense. And he's like, okay, fine, let's do it. And so, you know, they're doing their fight. He clearly wins. And the armor says, all right, that's enough. Now, children, let's recite our creed. And it was like, wait, you're picking now to do the creed? Well, no, 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 because think about when Pas Vizsla and Mando fought in the very first episode of Mandalorian. Like, they were at each oh, other's throat. okay. And it's, it's basically they take the creed to, like, hey, we're one big happy family. Like, right. to remind themselves. So I think she didn't think Good it point. was going to go the way that it did. I just think it's, okay, you just fought. Now we're back on the same side. Take the creed to, to remind you that we're family. And I don't think it went the way she thought it was going to go. Yeah, my cousin was like, he, why didn't you just say yes? And I was like, and you, try, you try being radicalized for all of these years. And, you know, that had to have killed him. So this is where, this is interesting. Because then he gets he gets the armor made for Grogu, gets that thing boiled down. But then she's like, you got to go. And he's like, okay, all right, bye. Uh, and so he leaves. Love that weapon scene of him putting all of his weapons down in the box. Uh, and so this leads to uh, something that it I, lingers on the dark saber. Like it's like, okay, the dark saber is going to get stolen by. Someone. I know. I was like, I swear to God, it if... really didn't. It really nope. didn't matter. It was just showing droids again, as this yeah. show was known to do. Yeah. And so I, I wrote down a note about this, which was, I said, uh, I said, episode five is almost a masterpiece weaving so many different themes and capturing so much about what it meant to be a star Wars fan as a kid which I, we've already seen a couple of things, right? Which was uh, the training with the sword. You know, kids always love that stuff. And it was like a video game too. Not just that, seeing all of his weapons. I know when I was a kid in Star Wars, I loved all the weapons, especially for Boba Fett because he had like 10 different things on his person. And so seeing him drop those all off, uh, the shipbuilding, which we'll get he to. like literally emptied every single whistling bird. I know, out. I'm like, oh, they're just, so <laughs> they're little awesome. staples. Uh, <laughs> but, but I said also themes around radical beliefs. And how love is something that doesn't really have a place in a radical belief system, because you look at uh, both. And I said, what's even cooler is seeing both Din and Grogu wrestling with radicalization from two different sides of the galaxy at almost the exact same time, because they both love each other and their respective tribes won't allow them to, to uh, express that love. And so it made it so much better watching it on that second go around, because I'm thinking to myself, yeah, he took his helmet off because he loves Grogu. He feels like he's his dad. And if, if the people that you're around don't respect that, if the religion that you're a part of doesn't respect that kind of love, then leave. And you look at the Jedi's the same way too, where they say, oh, we need to remove ourselves from all of these attachments. You can't love anybody. If you take this thing, you can't come back. And Grogu, as we know right now, is like, cool. All right, I'll do that. I'm going to leave for Mando. And to see them both make that conscious decision uh, and not knowing the other person made it because Grogu doesn't know what Din did and, and Din doesn't know Grogu did that. It, it's just so cool. And I think that goes back to your point. And I was going to touch on it, but you already did of the, the minds that it doesn't matter. I think those moments were enough for them to see. And I agree. I think it'd be really cool to have him go to the minds, but then, you know, maybe he looks at Grogu and he's just like, you know what? I, I don't need that anymore. I, I just so happen to be part of a really radical portion of the Mandalorians that I probably didn't need to be a part of anyway. And again, just a really strong message that they, they don't lay on heavy at all. 
Like I had to do a little thinking on that. Cause I was just like, that's really interesting that the Jedi in a sense are kind of the same as those Mandalorians or those dark watch. They're just doing it from a different perspective or for a different reason. Would you agree? Yeah, I would, especially when we talk about, so you take, take death watch, for example, where they are portrayed as these bad, these bad people. And I mean, Bo-Katan was death watch when we first meet her in season four, of the clone wars, maybe season five. Um, and then, uh, previsla who is voiced by John Favreau. Um, but we've got all this different stuff, but then death watch is doing the work where they're saving foundlings like din, where they're, they're literally rescuing him from, uh, an invasion of the droid army. And, and so there's a lot of good stuff like being with, with death watch. It's really continuing that story that they set up within the last Jedi of, Hey, like sometimes it's not about right or wrong. Sometimes it's about survival and nothing, nothing beyond that. So the fact that they're willing to int- to explore that a lot more is really, really interesting to me. And and I, I I think you're right. I think we're gonna. Why am I doing this for somebody who isn't going to allow me to be with this kid? I mean, this kid has now chosen to be with me. Like, what's going to happen from there? I'm really interested in seeing potentially just Pedro Pascal without his helmet on more. But I I think from a budget standpoint, I don't know if they can afford to do that. <laughs> yeah right exactly but you know that made the opening scene that much more powerful too when you look back on it because it's following him the whole time and the camera's on his face and he's literally like a stone wall the entire time and you just wonder and i was thinking about on the second go of like what is he thinking about as he's just like standing there staring is he th- he's thinking about grogu probably the whole time or he's thinking about where am i going to find you know these people am i going to get one but it's just it's cool because you can't see his face and Cobb mm-hmm. says it the best way too. And he's like, you know, you always get that, that smile, get you away with a bunch of stuff. Cause you, know, you can't see anything. The first two, the first episode of Mandalorian ends or the first scene of the first episode of Mandalorian ends with a guy getting cut in half. The first scene of this particular episode ends with a guy getting cut in half. So even everything like in the first episode, it's the guy getting cut in half by the door. And then, oh, in yeah. this, mm-hmm. and then in this one, it's literally using the dart saber to cut the Clotunian in half. So I think part of it was how, just action packed this fight scene was at the beginning and showing that Din still hasn't lost a step. He's not a softy because he was a dad for a couple of years. Right. Like he is, he is very much, like you said, he may be thinking about Grogu, but he's not letting that get in the way of, of what he's really, really freaking good at. And that's being a bounty hunter and making a lot of money doing it. Yep. He's thinking about Grogu while he's holding a severed head. Exactly. Yep. And so then we get to, again, something that the first time go around, I was like, come on, come on, just give me the end result. The second time around, I fell in love with, which is him returning to Tatooine and building his Naboo Starfighter, which again, I, like I said, when I saw that, I got so excited. But as they were building it, I was just like, what's the deal with this? And so on that second viewing, I was like, you know what? As a kid, though, building that actual Lego, like, this is so cool. Them trading words that I don't understand. Oh, you got to put the flux capacitor in the terminal port and the whatnot. It was like, <laughs> they went out of their way to be like, let's define what this is. Let's talk about what this is. Let's include the piece from uh, New Hope that was in the trash compactor. Let's have these droids in here. And I just thought that was so cool. Not just that, uh, I have not been a fan of Pelimoto ever. Watching it a second time, I was like, you know what? I actually, I like her. She's really funny. And when she's like, you know what? She me nuts. I, and, and she does normally. But on this one, when she was like, yeah, you know what, Mando, you can go. 
but while you're waiting, can I explain a couple things to you? And I just love that, that we're, we're getting this little nostalgia of reminding us that this is one of the fastest ships in the galaxy. It's pre-Empire. It doesn't require a, uh, a circular thing around it to go into hyperdrive. That it's from, you know, it's hand-built. It's got OEM parts. Like, as a, as a car, and I'm not a car guy, but, you know, car guys probably would have gone nuts over that. As I was watching it, too, I realized something that I think, it had nothing to do with the episode, but I said, you know what? So Ahsoka is my favorite Star Wars character. I've always said that. And uh, Darth Maul is my second favorite. But I was like, you know what? I think maybe my third or my second is Padme. And I was just like, you know, thinking about like Queen Amidala. I wonder about why. these. Uh, it's Natalie Portman. I mean, let's be, <laughs> let's be honest, but still I, I've been, re I read the books again because her photo was on the front of them and I very easy to picture, but at the same time, you know, she was a queen. She was a politician. She built this empire. And obviously some of those ships were there before, but it was like, just seeing that ship reminded me of her. And I was like, you know what? I actually think I like her a lot more than I remembered in the, in the sense of like seeing a ship brings back the memory of my queen. And I was just, I don't know. There's just some special stuff about that, him building it. And then him, him being like, I don't want this. And he's, and then to being like, can I go test it out? Or no, she says, go test it out. He's like, are you serious? And you, you can't see his excitement under the mask, but you can feel it. And when he lifts that thing up, and like I said, again, first viewing, I didn't catch it, but him riding through Boon to Eve and this, the music, like the music was similar as was the sounds from the ship. Cause it was doing the like vum, 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 as he was going through was it, I got chills the entire time I was watching. It took me back to being a kid. And I feel like even for someone who maybe didn't grow up on star Wars, if they'd seen that, they'd love it the same way of like, he's, you know, let's see what this puppy can do. And, and he takes it off even faster. And he's like criticizing it, but she's like, no, nah, don't worry about it. And he's like, oh, okay. And then takes it up into space. I mean, when's the last time you got to see that? I mean, typically we would have seen him boot it up. And then the next episode would have been him in space with it. And then the next episode would have been him back on tattooing, getting it repaired again. But uh, it was and, just and the coolest thing. Yeah, when we're talking about splitting episodes, one thing I really enjoy about this being included within the Book of Boba Fett instead of season three is this was all one episode. Yep. And because if this was part of the season three of The Mandalorian, season one would have been on the Dyson Fear. Episode one would have been on the Dyson Fear. He yes. would have gotten on that. He would have gotten on that ship. And then season two or episode two would have been him getting the N1 Naboo Starfighter. The fact that it was one episode made it that much better. The I mean, we find out that Jawas are very hairy. That oh, that was so funny. Jawa. Like BD1 or the BD droid, which if it is the BD1, that really gets the gears turning in my mind. But that BD droid making its live action debut, that droid is incredible. I love him so, so much. And the fact that Din is softening on droids and he thanks BD for the help with building the ship. Yep. Like it's just all... Like all these through lines of just the growth of his character and everything that we got. Again, Pelly was the least annoying in this episode that she's ever been. Yeah. I think I think part of it is she's just too quick with her dialogue sometimes. She literally doesn't even come across that she's thinking about anything that she's saying, which might be accurate. But I I just it, it all worked for me so so well. And then of course we get Appa from Kim's convenience and yes. Paul Sun Young Lee's character of yeah. again being that through line of this ranger in the New Republic tour or patrolling the galaxy in his X-wing, just not wanting to do the paperwork, but getting to see 
that thing being able to jump to light speed again without the ring that you were talking about before the N1 Naboo Starfighter, man, I lost my mind. And then, of course, the hollowed out droid port. You know exactly who that's reserved. Oh, yeah. And and the fact that he just drops in. Wizard. The yes. Wizard <laughs> is just it's an episode one callback. You see the pod race track even before he went to Beggars Canyon. I knew it was the pod race track. And then we see that exit ramp that Anakin took that they never, ever fixed. It's just all so, so, so fun. I couldn't wipe the smile off of my face. My episode yeah. one loving heart just loved it. Yes. Uh, yeah. And I've made no secret that that's my favorite episode. So getting to see that many callbacks in one was so nice. It was funny too. It almost it gave us a little bit of background on the, the uh, Rangers of the Republic. Cause kind of the way that I saw it was like, those two guys are assigned to the planet and they are basically patrolling around the rim of the planet for anyone that's coming by. Cause it almost felt like a kind of cop thing where they just pulled him over for speeding basically. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess so. He's kind of just wherever you need him to be. He's I kinda... suppose. Wasn't he at uh, he was, well, no, cause okay. He was in the ice. He was planet, in, he and then was he comes Navarro. back. Yeah. And then he was at Navarro where oh, is that where it was? Okay. Navarro is where Cara Dune was where yeah. he was having the conversation about her being from Alderaan. Like he's kind of the agent Colson of the world. Like he just kind of pops up wherever he's needed and I'm completely okay, good. Then I missed that. And then the other X-wing pilot was actually the body double for Luke Skywalker in season two of the oh, man cool so he was the body double for for mark hamill um so that's how he got to be a part of it because he spoiler alert was not part of it in the sixth episode of the book of boba fett because they did a better job with the cgi and the body oh, double. yes they did yeah we'll and we'll get to that um so yeah this uh, again I, we've spent a lot of time on this episode deservedly so this was my favorite episode of the season uh and it just it skyrocketed things to another level and i just it was, like it it made me it made everybody it wish it was mando it was not my favorite episode is the next one your favorite it was oh, okay great i like that i like that okay so you know he lands back down successful flight excuse me and he uh agrees to go with fennec shan she shows up i loved that too it was super quick but i just loved her smile and jump down and she's got her bag of coins and says boba fett needs your help and he says it's on the house and i was like i love that that's just so cool but then he says we still need to i have to go meet a, a little friend which again if the the uh, mando music didn't get you excited in the last one hearing little friend got me very excited because this was so anti-mando of like oh we're immediately going to get payoffs to the things that are being said in these episodes that's great well, yeah, and I, I mean, that week off between those two episodes, everybody's arguing, like, we're not going to see Grogu. Like, he's going to go do it, and then we'll see a flashback or whatever. We'll start season three. Like, we're absolutely going to see Grogu. Like, are you kidding me? Like, and they didn't waste any time whatsoever. I still, I, and I mean, if you want to talk about it, we can. I still cannot completely explain, and maybe through your second rewatch, you're able to get a little more clarity on this. Why did we get this episode within this show? I don't, I don't know why the book of Boba Fett housed these two episodes, which had absolutely no Boba Fett in them. I'm not going to complain about it because good Star Wars is good Star Wars. The Mandalorian is, is good Star Wars and it was best for the story that they're telling. And I think we'll be able to look back on it, especially after season three to explain why, but I still don't quite understand why we got these two Mandalorian episodes within if you couldn't fill out an, a full show of the book of Boba Fett, then just do a movie like we were talking about. 
Yep. I think, I think you kind of called it already though. I think after this third season, you're going to say, Oh, that's why I think this is, this is saving you the time of having to do all of that setup. I would have personally been uh, kind of annoyed if that was the first episode, first probably two episodes of, of uh, Mandalorian of this one episode. And then this next episode, probably they would have been one more episode or, or that would have been the season finale. I, I have no idea, but I think they're setting these stages Filoni's done this it feels like in multiple shows because I'm trying to think I mean you look at Clone Wars you know that show is about the clones but you have multiple sections where it's just about the Jedi when they go to Dathomir that whole section or when they're going to uh, uh, what's the place with the ancient Jedis the like the original Sith the original uh, the Mortis Ark yeah more yes the family the the father Mm -hmm. daughter yeah, yeah. yeah, same thing. Where are the clones in those episodes? Also portrayed by Sam Witwer is the oh, brother. Look at that. But so so like they, they do that. And so to me, and this is why I love Star Wars, is these are those episodes that remind you that there's more out there. And I, I'm glad that, you know, we get to focus on Boba, but it was great to get to see like, hey, again, here's where here's where Mando's been because we're going to have Mando in the finale. So we have to explain where he is. We can't just have him show up in the finale. Same with Grogu. We can't just have him show up. We need to see where he's been. What better way than to boost the ratings of our current show and also tease for future shows? Like I said, I think I think it's like just kind of putting a little bit of a teaser in one season to tease for the next season. But I agree. As we were watching it, it was like, I, we all said it. You know, oh, there's not even any Boba Fett in here this show. Like, this is not Boba Fett's show. This is just Mando 2.5. But you know, um, I'm not, I'm not going to complain about it because some of that yeah. stuff... Uh, is top five episodes of Mando worthy stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, I don't think we needed to see Boba. It was nice to get a little bit of a break because we were, I was kind of frustrated with the, the Boba story for a little bit. So it was nice to have a breather for us to come back and be like, you know what? I love Boba too. So that was cool. Um, but that's, yeah, that's what I would say. Uh, okay. So chapter six from the desert comes a stranger. Uh, directed by the one and only Dave Filoni, uh, also written by Dave Filoni. This is the one he, he wrote as well. We've got two different stories in here. We're not going to, we won't break it down uh, scene by scene because they, they flip flop. We'll talk about the first one because I think you probably are more excited about the second one. First one being Cobb Vance's story of him in Freetown. And so uh, Freetown is, is, or Mos Pelgo is now called Freetown. I liked that. They've taken their town back. Uh, the Pikes are running spice through their town too, which again, it's not a town. I mean, there's gotta be a, there's gotta be a word smaller than a town. Cause I think it's like six houses. So even them yeah. running spice through the area, like just drive around it. There's so much sand and dunes, like just, <laughs> just take a longer route right around the court. They won't even notice you, but for some reason they drive in there and Cobb takes them down, kicks the bag of uh, the bag of spice onto the ground, which again, that spice looked gorgeous. Like I loved the coloring of it. It looked like it was gold. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you get the, the Cobb van there. So we see that he's kind of involved in the pikes now too. And part of that comes from Mando showing up and uh, talking to, uh, or going to get them. We don't really see that in this episode yet, except for them saying, yeah, we're going to go, you know, we'll go talk to them. But at the same time we get the reveal and we can, maybe we'll save that for the end, but that's, that's the beginning piece with Cobb. Uh, the rest you of also this... establish how quick Cobb is on the draw, which oh, is yep. a massive role later on. Yes, yeah, because you wonder who who the fastest hands in the West are, and someone that's not even from this planet, which is kind of like cheating, but not the deputy. Yeah, oh, definitely that deputy. <laughs> he was perfect for what he was supposed to be, which was the really annoying deputy that nobody likes. 
I don't, and I, <laughs> that deputy was played by the person who wore the Boba Fett armor under the helmet. Look at this. This is awesome. I, I'm loving these little Easter eggs. See, those are, those are the things I need to, I rely on you for Brian. I appreciate that. Um, the show is better because you are on here. <laughs> uh, but so from, from there we get, uh, we're going to just flip over to the main story. We'll come back to Cobb, which happens at the end of the episode. So Din lands on the unknown planet. Uh, and we find him going, uh, R2 uh, is there. He meets him. He's his rendezvous. We get probably some of the best lines spoken to a droid in centuries. Brian, what does he say to R2 when he lands? Uh, I mean, he says he wants to be. I, I, I don't know if I can quote it directly. Like I it's, said, e- he- it's easy. I'll say it. He says, hello, friend. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, look at this, Dan. Look at you getting better and better. But then later on, he says something to him that I was like, wait, I thought you guys were friends. Uh, but yeah, so he meets R2-D2, R2's whistling and takes him to the beginnings of the Jedi temple, the Jedi school that Luke is building on this planet. Very cool to see. We get these really crazy ant droids that, uh, I, I didn't know what to think of them. Like they were definitely cool. I loved that they had kind of a mind of their own, but they also, they, they had a mind of their own, but they also felt very pre-programmed. Like I, I wondered like how, you know, because they start building the bench for him and all that stuff. Did R2 tell them to build the bench? Or was that something that, uh, you know, Luke foresaw and pre-programmed into the ant droids? I was curious. I would assume R2 can can communicate with them. That yeah. that would be my assumption. Yeah, like, they're cool because they have a mind of their own and they're terrifying because they have a mind of their own. So, like, I totally get that. But th- this is where my heart is made happy from a continuity standpoint and where star Wars is going of kind of doing what the MCU has done, where they're paying very close attention to making sure things look exactly how they're supposed to. So the continuity matches up. This looks exactly like the spot that where the temple gets burned down by Ben Solo, the Knights of Ren, like whoever does do it, I expect we'll probably going to fill in some of those gaps as the years go by. But this is where I get made happy because the continuity makes sense because the continuity didn't always make sense in the Disney era of star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, for those of you curious, uh, very old episode, I think it's like episode 97 or something uh, myself and Paul Herman from the comic binge broke down the rise of Kylo Ren comic series, which goes into detail about the burning of that Jedi temple. I didn't know that. I'm going to have to go. Yeah. Back. You should check it out. Paul, it's only four, it's only four issues. Yeah. Paul talking Star Wars comics is always interesting. Oh yeah. He is uh, a, just uh, a wealth of knowledge. Uh, but yeah, that was super cool to see. I love that the bench too of like, you know, here's two, two bricks and uh, you know, some reed, like some bamboo with some leaves on top. Like they knew exactly what to grab. It was very tasteful. Uh, but then he sits there and we get the classic uh, <laughs> waiting on the cool person or waiting on royalty where it just takes, takes you dad. out. <laughs> yeah. He's takes a total dad, dad man. He yep. takes a dead nap. He's visiting. And I think you called this out on, on uh, Babu's, but you know, he's like the dad coming to pick the son up from daycare basically. <laughs> Which was, I, I didn't catch that the first time around, but I had that in mind when I was watching it the second time when he was like, I just want to, I just want to see him. And I was just like, <laughs> you just I pull the hat, you just pull the hat over your eyes and yeah. take a with I just have something to give him. Man. He I left his lunch at the house. I'm just here to give it to him real quick. I have mastered the dad nap. Yep. <laughs> uh, but that was great. And so then from there, we get a little bit of rustling. Oh no, Luke shows up. No, 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 no. We get in my opinion, someone even better. Ahsoka Tano shows up. Rosario Dawson in it for just a little bit. 
but uh, she just rips apart every single scene that she's in, in the best way uh, to the point where I actually was frustrated with her in this episode because she was just so right. And I hated how right she was in explaining <laughs> everything to him of like, she's like, yeah, okay. You can sure you can see him. There he is. Like, <laughs> yeah, but that's like a mile away. But who, but who's really going to benefit from this? Is this <laughs> you? It was like, Ahsoka, why are you being so right all the time? I, I just loved seeing her. I love that she showed up. Uh, her line of, I'm a friend of the family was... Uh, legitimate tears when she said, I'm an old friend of the family. Like, legitimate tears. The fact that we now live in a world where Ahsoka knows that Anakin finally made the right decision makes me so, so, so happy. I hope... I, I, I get, you know, I'm not a big fan of the fans begging for things, but I've got to see that. And I've got to see a conversation between her and Luke or something where she finds out. And obviously she knows, but like, I would just love to see a little bit more of that, uh, which we could easily see in the Ahsoka series, or we could see in the new Mando series. It depends, but um, just ugh, everything about her was perfect. Uh, her explanation of everything, explaining the school, explaining Luke, uh, I'm just, anytime I can see Ahsoka, I'm glad for it. And I'm trying to think she, if there's anything else that she did. She drops that, was that, she drops that into Luke where it's so much like your father. Just, yes. Yeah. She's constantly dropping in those nuggets of she's the smartest one in the room and she knows she's the smartest one in the room. Yep. And like, oh, I love her so much. I was so happy when she popped up. Mm -hmm. From her looks to her mannerisms to the gestures that she would make. She, and that's what's funny, too, because she's probably OK. Correct me if I'm wrong. I was trying to tell my cousin this during the show. Isn't Grogu the same age as Luke? Weren't they born the same day? He's the same age as Anakin. OK, that's right. OK, so because I was like, wait, Luke can't be 50. So Luke's probably what, 30s? Luke was 18, 19. In, Luke was 19 in A New Hope. Uh, that uh, the original 30s. trilogy covered about five years, so yeah, he's about 30 early 30s. Okay, and so Ahsoka, and though, Grogu, she's Grogu's probably 50s, Gro yeah, Grogu's early 50s, which puts Ahsoka at probably mid 40s, right? Yeah, because Anakin was about older than him, about seven, eight years older than, than Ahsoka. So, um, well, I mean, she's 14 at the start of the Clone Wars, so she, yeah, she's upper mid to upper 40s. Yeah, just cool to see. I like, you know, from her going to be the youngling in all of Clone Wars to now she's the adult, she's the master. Uh, just was great. And then we get she's not, your, she's not your favorite character in Star Wars because of the early Clone Wars days. She's your favorite character in Star Wars because of the growth of that character. Uh, she, correct. Yeah. She's 100%. not exciting in the early Clone Wars stuff, but from the Siege of Mandalore and the character she is in Rebels. And the character I expect we are going to get in the Ahsoka series, like she is rightfully the best character. And she's your favorite. She's also my favorite. Yeah, it was those. Um, it wasn't exact like the moment where it automatic where I was like, all right, this is it. It's over was when she walked away from the Jedi because uh, I was just like, no one's ever done that. Right. And I was like, wow, good for her. This is so cool. But it was the buildup of that, of like seeing her fight. I loved her fighting style. And so I'm glad that I did, because then when the Siege of Mandalore came, that was, you know, it wasn't me going, all right, now she's my favorite. It was like me just geeking out because I, she was already my favorite. And then just seeing her fight ball and all of that was uh, life changing, but yeah, the, the beginnings of you know Snip when her her tails are uh, or what were they called Man mandrels? Yeah, uh, yeah. They, when they were really tiny, I wasn't a huge fan of them. But when when they grew a little bit, that's kind of when she grew on me, so to speak. 
Um, but yeah, let's dive into uh, Luke and or Luke and Grogu. So uh, they it's, it's Leku is is what Leku. Is, okay, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, they were awesome. Uh, you said it before, and I'll say it again. The CGI has been improved from what I saw. Correct me if I'm wrong. They used a lot more of the deep fake footage. Uh, I feel like they're inches away from just putting an actual actor in the role, which I kind of hope for only because it's good and it doesn't make me complain about it, but I still notice it. And I don't like that. I notice it. I don't like that. Every time I see him, one of my thoughts is that's a fake character or that's a CGI character. And so I don't know if that's something that'll go away with time. All I can say is thank you, Disney. Thank you, Lucasfilm for making it better than it was at the end of the season two Mando finale. Well, they hired a completely new person to do it. That guy that did that deep fake video of Ron Swanson on all the characters of Full House, like that's the dude that they hired oh, okay. to be I'm, their new deep fake. I think it's like Dr. Deep Fake or something is what he was on on YouTube. But after that uh, season two appearance of Luke, like they hired this dude afterwards, which means they're planning on using this a little bit more and more. Honestly, the emotions I felt by having Luke Skywalker show up at the end of The Mandalorian I, I mean, I could notice and I just didn't care. I genuinely just didn't care. I, I had talked about that day. Like, I know people are going to complain about it. I just don't care. I'm glad we got the character. Yeah. If we are going to get a full-blown Tales of the Jedi story, like, I think you got to recast the role. But if it just keeps getting better, like, it depends on how much Luke we're going to get. Like, that's really where the line's drawn for me. If we're getting a full-blown series where Luke is the main character, you got to recast it. Yes, hundred percent. But if you, if, but if you're going to just do check-ins like this one, I'm completely good with them continuing the deep fake CGI route. I'm fine with it. I thought all the stuff with Luke was really, really interesting. The stuff with the frogs and teaching yep. Grogu that there's that there's more to life than that one frog in front of you. Like you, if you master this, you can have all the frogs that you want. Yep. I think Grogu learning how to jump was really, really fun. <laughs> Grogu still got that dark side to him where he'll just shatter something because he's so frustrated yep. like i think all that is really really interesting stuff and the fact that i mean i guess like luke just went through yoda's stuff on dagobah and found out that he still had his lightsaber so he kept it i mean i guess it's simply that easy to understand how luke got the lightsaber but it's all like i'm so happy with the fact that we got not only did we get luke how much of luke we got and again seeing those interactions between him and ahsoka just made my heart happy yeah and i noticed on the second go around that uh believe it or not we actually did not get a lot of luke of the face of luke i noticed that on the second go around and almost every single time he talks you don't see his face it's yeah. usually his shoes or he's getting up to go do something as he's talking which goes right back to what you're saying if you're going to have it where he's i mean my perfect viewing of luke and again he's I don't know what it's probably just because of the way that I grew up, but I, I'm not a huge Luke fan just because he, I don't know, there's so many other cooler characters, but if you wanted to show him as a super cool person, like you told me, the guy that pulled an entire star destroyer out from the sky, you have to recast him. Cause I need to see him screaming. I need to see him being more expressive than he can be with the way the CGI is. Cause there's, you can't see any emotion with him. They, they're not able to do that at this point, which is fine. Again, I agree. I I'm glad we got so much of him, especially, I think my favorite moment with him was when he's like, all right, let's go for a walk. <laughs> and then he starts lifting him up every single time that he's walking. <laughs> that was so great. Like, you know, that wasn't the first time he'd been doing it either. Uh, but then all oh, we get, we get the, uh, he says, do you want to remember? 
and uh, yeah. of what happened to you. And so we get the flashback of that Grogu was in fact in the Jedi Temple uh, during Order 66. So now the question becomes, how, how did he get rescued? How did he get saved? And what that whole story was there? Maybe, I mean, did he get captured there? Because the first time we see him is with the, uh, well, no, it wasn't, was it? He gets stolen from the First Order, not First Order, but, you know, I mean, stolen from the Empire people. Um, did they not just grab him then from the Jedi Temple and they were going to experiment on him? Or maybe I, someone got him at some point? I don't think they grabbed him. They have never officially have told us who that who Mando kind of took him from. We know who Mando killed, but we don't know exactly who had the asset at the time of the right. end of the first episode of the Mandalorian. Um, we don't, we don't think it's empire. We know the empire is looking for him for the same reasons. Um, but yeah, like we don't officially know. I would venture to say a Jedi of some sort saves him. Um, when we talk star Wars continuity onto off to the right hand side of the screen, um, when you're looking at it from Grogu's vantage point, you can actually see the, the dorm room of Barris Afi who was Ooh. a character in, in the Clone Wars who actually goes dark side. And that, that's mm -hmm. a super interesting arc as well. But she's got a thing on her door that, that tells us kind of where he's at. So where he's potentially at, if they do it anything like any other sort of school where you're kind of rooming with your age group, kind of where he stands within his Jedi training at the time. Um, so he's a pretty capable Jedi. I, I, they, they show us this for a reason. We're eventually going to get this filled in as to who saves him. I don't think they're going to go so crazy that it's going to be somebody like Yaddle that saves him, who is the female Yoda for those that don't know. Mm -hmm. But I think, like, I, I think it could be as simple as like Jocasta knew who's the librarian or, or something like that. She has a really cool storyline within the Charles soul run of Darth yes. Vader as well. So she's, she's a really interesting character. That'd be a lot of fun. If they just turn that Darth Vader comic series into a Disney plus series, like I'm all there for it, especially oh, the episode yeah. where, Tarkin hunts down Vader, but um, like <sighs> showed us that for a reason. The the Jedi in that are very inconsequential Jedi. It turns out they're really nobody that we really know. So somebody saved him, and the fact that they cut it off when they did tells me where we're gonna pick that up in season three at some point of the Mandalorian. Um, but just the fact that he was in the Jedi Temple, there's there's a laundry list of people it could have been. Yep. Yeah, I know. I think you weren't you pushing Mace Windu at one point. I would still push Mace Windu. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. Um, yeah. And so I think, again, in, in saying very little and showing very little, they tell a lot in this episode. You got that piece, which answered a lot of questions. I loved the line when Luke's talking to Ahsoka and says, it's not, it, it's not like he's learning these things. It's like he's remembering and he's, he's remembering them, which to me is you think about you know what the what ifs are of, He's, he's become the Jedi that he was. He's right back where he left off with his training, so to speak. So he knows stuff. Maybe there's more that can grow, but in the sense of does he need, and he even kind of says it, like, does he even need Luke anymore? Like, is he good to go now with he, staying with Mando? Does he have the lightsaber? Did, did Luke give him a lightsaber too, along with that armor? Again, we don't know, but we get put into this very interesting predicament, which again, made me really pause and put that note in about the radicalization of Luke posing to Grogu whether to choose the armor, the chainmail, or the lightsaber. Look, if I didn't know who gave me both of those gifts, I'd be picking the lightsaber because chainmail is chainmail. But of course, he picks the chainmail because Papa made it for him. But why do you think Luke did this? 
Do you think there's do you think there's a subterfuge to it? Because he knows more than anybody. And I think you maybe called this out too on Babu's, but he knows more than anybody that the power and danger in that the Sith dealing in absolutes, that there can only be one sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, and Yoda, Yoda warns Luke too, like, hey, you can't leave. You're not done with your training. And Luke leaves anyway and still right. becomes the most powerful Jedi of all time. Should we believe the tales and the myths of Luke Skywalker in that? novel which again he pulls a star destroyer out of the sky with the force Mm -hmm. so i mean there's some really cool stuff with luke luke knows what he's doing i genuinely think he's testing grogu to the point of just like where does your heart lie like if you're not all in on being a jedi that's cool i'm fine with that but you need to make your decision now and i'm super happy with the choice that grogu made is this the last time that we're going to see Luke and Grogu on the screen at the same time. I don't think there's any shot at that. I think there's still going to be some sort of Jedi training at some point uh, for Grogu, um, at least force training, if nothing else. But I, I, I mean, I think that there's a lesson in here when it comes to Grogu. Like I do have this headcanon of Grogu showing up on Tatooine in the X-Wing flown by R2, just by Luke throwing a fit, just saying, fine, you choose that. Get out of here. Like just R2, like, like, he drives home the drunk teenager from the party or something like, but I don't think Luke was throwing a fit. Like I just, Luke knows what he's doing and I think we're going to get it explained, but it's yeah. very interesting. And I don't know why he did what he did. I mean, everything to him, I mean, everything to most Jedi masters is a lesson and that there's some sort of lesson there. And he was yeah. grappling with that lesson too, when he was talking with Ahsoka, cause she says, you know, uh, what does she say? Like, what does your heart tell you? And again, not a very Jedi thing to ask, right? But even yeah. then he says, you know, he's kind of torn with it. So I almost wonder if he said, you know, I, I have been in a position where I've had to choose. I was in a position where I had to choose between my friends and my training or, or between people that I loved and my training. I'm going to present this to Grogu as well of choosing between my people who he loves and his training, not just for him, but for myself as well. Because Luke, I think especially after that again i don't know there's probably a lot we're missing but to me one thing that i would hope luke would have as part of his character is learning from that experience with yoda that mistakes need to be made and learning can't take place unless that sort of stuff happens sometimes and so he knows that because he left and so it's like i'm gonna let grogu do whatever he wants and i'm gonna see how i feel about that like i'm gonna let him be the one to decide i'll let him do whatever and then i'm gonna meditate on that and see what can I learn from that? Because again, he's at this point now where he's constantly meditating and all that. I don't know. I just, I see this as almost a learning opportunity for Luke too. There's kind of, there's kind of two things there that I, I want to touch on is the first is, is when you talk about when he says Grogu's remembering the question is, is Grogu forgetting what his training was because he's chosen to forget that? Or did somebody put him under some sort of trance or something that caused him to forget that? Like, we don't know. Like does Grogu, yeah. does Grogu want to remember? We don't, we don't have that answer, but um, the other piece of Luke is Luke stubborn enough that you could ask Luke now of was the, was it the right decision for you to leave Dagobah and save Leia and, and Han and have that, have that, like, would you have become who you became without making that quote unquote mistake? Or do you stand by what you did at that time? Then can you see Grogu standing by the decision that he just made, which is in theory throwing away everything that of being a Jedi? When in reality, Luke can learn something from this, and Grogu could throw or learn something from this. Because again, I think Luke is stubborn enough 
and he's probably correct that he became a stronger Jedi because of this quote unquote mistake by leaving to go to save his friends. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's through those sort of lessons that he's able to turn his father in a sense, because he teaches him that same thing of like, and and now I'm having to scratch my head on some of that from return of the Jedi, but like, you know, when he's talking with him and saying, you know, you can come, it's not too late. Like you can make a change. You can do something different. And that's the same thing that Luke was doing. So he's, I think, well, and I'm excited for that. And I like that they didn't, again, they're dropping these hints in these two episodes of things to come. So I don't think that it was on purpose or on accident that they, well, yeah, and they Luke's left not 900, it. Like Yoda made mistakes too. Yoda was 900. Like Luke's, we talked about it. He's in his early thirties. Like he's going to make mistakes as a master just as yeah. much as anything else. Oh, and who made him a master? The gods. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, technically, is he not? He's probably still... I mean, did Yoda say something to him in Return of the Jedi? I mean, if we're talking about Doctor Strange not being the Sorcerer Supreme because nobody said it, no, but I would maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that opens up a whole new can of worms. Like, but I will say, like, I would venture to say Obi Wan Kenobi, Yoda, and Anakin Skywalker showing up at the end. Oh, true. Like, I would say that that probably counts. Yeah, I like that. That's good enough for me. Um. So yeah. So that's our Jedi portion. Uh, we get back into uh, Mos Pelgo or Freetown, as they keep telling us to call it. And we see again that uh, Bo- or Boba <laughs> Mando shows up, has a drink with Cobb. We get a great, I love that too, with the deputy being like, you can't park here. And he's like, I'm j-, he doesn't even care. He's just like, I'm here to see Cobb. <laughs> and then we get the cool, the cool thing where you think like, oh, where's Cobb Anthony's standing right behind the deputy and scoots off. Hey, deputy, why don't you get out of here? Uh, that was great. They share a little bit of a drink and he asks them for help. And just like we see in so many movies, they say, we're not going to help you because this problem is not affecting us right now. And he says, but it's going to affect you. And I love that afterwards, too, when he tells them, he says, you know, gather a meeting. I want to talk with everybody. And they're like, well, it's not an issue. He's like, yeah, but what I'm about to tell you, uh, it might be. And so I'm cur- I was curious. We didn't see what it was, but we get all of the information that we need and the spur that the town needs as well of a stranger entering in through the dust. Uh, I got to tell you, I and wish between the sins of Tatooine. I, I wish Brian that we'd have been watching this episode together because the minute that I saw that guy, I was like, that's cat. That has to be cat Bane. I don't know why I just, the way he was walking the, the thing in the day, and then it got closer and closer. And I was like, is it cat Bane? That hat's really small. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but no, when we finally got to see him and I'll, I'll say too, on my second viewing, he sat with me a lot better after kind of pushing my preconceived animated notions out of my head. I would like to see his hat be a little bigger, but you know, at this point, there's no point in seeing him again, if you know what I mean, but him showing up in this was, and we're going to, we'll talk about this at the very end too. I've got a note about this, but just so Western loved this whole bit was very high noon, very just the two share the sheriff having to stop the guy in town and the deputy. I loved how he wouldn't, he kept saying, you know, I didn't catch your name. And he wouldn't give him his name. And he does the same thing as Boba Fett and says, well, and even to- in the subtitles of the show, it only refers to him as stranger. Like it doesn't even put the name Cad Bane in the subtitles either. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, unless you knew it's one of those, if you know, you knows. Uh, and he, he was great. If I'm remembering right. Same guy who voiced him is the guy who played him. Corey Burton. Yep. Killed it. Uh, and did such a good job. His teeth were creepy, uh, which I, obviously was the point. 
Um, but like I said, him, so he takes out both of the guys. Uh, I love that he takes out Cobb and then he shoots like 16 rounds into the deputy is the perfect way of doing it. And the deputy, even while he's shooting Cobb, the deputy is not fast enough to, to, to hit on him, which was great. Uh, talk to me about this bit. How'd this make you feel? Well, yeah, he unloaded on the deputy because he wouldn't give him the respect. At least Cobb gave him the respect. Like, right. So, I mean, I'm, I lost my absolute freaking mind. Man. <laughs> it was my number one wish list item for the show was to get a live action Cobb van or a cat van. I thought it was going to be in flashback form. I did not think it was going to be in modern day. I, I absolutely lost it again. I, there was plenty of YouTube videos of quote unquote, fixing Cad Bane by making him darker, darker blue, whatever. I don't care. I thought his eyes, when you get that reveal of how red his eyes are from under the brim of that hat. So good. I saw a meme. I saw a meme yesterday where it's the silhouette walking closer. And then it was Mrs. Doubtfire with the, Oh yeah. Oh, hello. Hello uh, That one, that one cracked me up, but like, absolutely lost my mind could not contain myself the fact that we got cad bane the fact that his quote like his breathing apparatus which again doesn't really help him breathe it's what actually prevents him from being from being force choked by a jedi um the only thing i wish we had gotten in the show that we did not get were his rocket boots which oh, i had yeah. that translating from from animated to to live action may not have really worked i would have liked to have seen it still but star lords worked Star, yeah, they did. I just, I, everything about Cad Bane, even if you had no idea who he was, you automatically respected him the second he showed up on the screen because they did a good job of, of showing how good Cobb Vanth was on the draw and he still wasn't fast enough against the old man. And I just think his hat's getting smaller because he's getting older. And that's fair. I like it's that. Heavy. <laughs> it's just getting heavy. That's right. His hat, he's been having to trim it every year like a tree because uh, he's just, yeah, he's getting tired. It's the opposite uh, of rings carbon dating on a tree. Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, I thought it was great. I loved it. Um, so with that in mind, wrapping up this episode six, uh, what made this your favorite episode? Was it the Jedi Luke stuff or was it the Cad Bane or was I it love, the both? I love Grogu, man. Like, I okay, love that's Grogu. fair. No, yeah. no, it was, I love Ahsoka. I love Grogu. The amount of, of stuff we got from Luke and the fact that he was establishing everything. But again, we got. I, I really think it, you can sum up this being my favorite because it had my favorite character in Ahsoka of saying mm-hmm. the line, I'm an old friend of the family. Just yeah. the emotion of this episode was all there for me. And then, like I said, the reveal and how perfect it was to bring in my number one wish list for the show in Cad Bane was just, was just so good. So from an emotional standpoint, I kneel at the feet of Dave Filoni. That's a big part of it too. So just everything about this episode did everything right for me from an emotional standpoint. It's what made it number one from a storyline standpoint. It probably is episode five, but just from an emotional standpoint, which for me being my number one fandom in star Wars, like it's all about the emotions, man. So it's my favorite just for those reasons. Yeah. I feel you. I mean, if I, if I had a wish, it would just be kind of the same as with the siege of Mandalore, like just make this into one episode, just one long episode. Cause I loved them both. But I think, like I said, that first one just excited me so much more. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really only it. Uh, yeah. So here we are on this final episode. So chapter seven in the name of honor. Again, we are back with Mr. Robert Rodriguez uh, still written by John Favreau. And uh, we're getting back into the swing of things. This episode uh, did not deliver. And I think part of it, it, it did, 
it just didn't deliver in the way that the last two episodes did and it shows almost immediately and yeah, i think it, that's one of the reasons why it doesn't sit well with us is it's like we you built you built this show up so well with those last two and then this one was like okay cool that's kind of how that's all what we expected right this is what we expected a big a big fight everyone shows up everyone has their little moments of fighting and and that's the episode like there wasn't very much in it that shocked me which again when you're thinking of a season finale there should be some things right that's like oh no like even the the rancor bit was awesome i really liked it we'll get to it but like it's telegraphed from a mile away when he's like i'm gonna go get something and and you know leaves but it just there, there was a lot uh there's a lot to be desired in this there's a lot to desire as well um, but that's kind of my thoughts on it overall. Yeah, I very, very underwhelmed. Um, I'm actually really bummed as to how as to how the show ended. Um, it falls back into the Robert Rodriguez traps of not yep. paying attention to every detail, um, focusing way too much on the mod squad. That spin you talked about it earlier. Yeah, um, it, it's just horrendous. Uh, oh, I know I, we can talk about uh, how. Oh, let's, you know, what's going to take these shields down one more blaster shot. Come on guys. Yeah. Let's do one more hunkering down in the, <laughs> in the, in the casino that's been bombed. Like I understand wanting to remain among the people and that's how they, they sold it, but there was no strategic advantage to staying in that building. Um, I thought Boba sending out the major domo to read off absolutely nothing was was hilarious i thought yeah, that, that was, was good was pretty funny the major domo i i mean he grew on me i really he really his, his words his words yeah. not mine <laughs> so i i i liked i liked that that bit but again making him a man of the people when i mean i know you had the raincore back at the palace you also had the ship back at the palace oh great i didn't even think about that bring that shit are you kidding me actually you know what would have been funny and that that's a good what if episode star wars should do a what if show uh <laughs> he drops a seismic bomb on the two droids and destroys all of Tatooine, or destroys <laughs> all of mos espa at the same time that would have been pretty cool the droid decas yeah oh uh those droids man they were they were cool but at the same time i was like come on like part of me also was saying come on when I, it had to have been like a hundred pikes it, maybe even more i'm like yeah they just keep coming like they just keep coming and when you know only one of them ends up running away in fear like i would have been like i'm out of here guys we just saw 30 of our men die we need to get going but they just kept coming and they kept one shot one shot one shot and none of them are getting hit which again it's Mando and Boba. Of course, they're going to kick butt. That scene of them flying up in the air was so cool. Uh, yeah. And kind of going back to what we were talking about with the armor, like I love that his is crisp and green. He's got the thing on his head for his rocket. Boba's or Mando's is very shiny, uh, but still has got his jetpack. Then all that was great, but it was just interesting because it was like, okay. And then all, everyone else has got to deal with their own betrayals too. And it's like, you didn't see that coming at all. The poor Gamorians, yeah, they they oh, fall. Oh, I know. But I just, I think my biggest frustration with with Robert Rodriguez, sure, you can convince me he understands the character of Boba Fett. He does not understand the character of Din Djarin. And it really frustrates me the way he utilizes Din Djarin within those episodes is he just, he just isn't Din Djarin. He's just not smart. He just makes dumb decisions. And it just, it just, it just rubs me the wrong way. So, I mean, it just not paying attention to detail. And then we get... The, the droids corner the 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 free town 
people and the mods in this okay we're going to make our last stand here at the corner of town basically because that's the edge of our set and we can't go any further. <laughs> the edge of the volume and, and, i mean we watched the two people go up on the roof completely inconsequentially like you said we're just going to yes. continue <laughs> shooting at these droids that absolutely do nothing whatsoever it's very mando trying to break into grogu's force field again just just mando trying to break into the droids force field too yeah yeah like I mean, we saw the Darksaber do its thing. Like, Grogu kind of saves the day. It just, he didn't pay a ton of attention to detail. There wasn't enough Cad Bane. What we got from Cad Bane. Yeah. So, I mean, it's all summed up. Why didn't we see Kersantan get out of, like, I do love Kersantan, how he has the nickname of Santos now. Like, I think that's awesome. But, like, last we see him, he's completely overrun by Trandoshans. And that's it. And then all of a sudden he's there again. Like I would have loved to see Chrysanthemum get out of that situation that he was in with all those. Like, how did he fight his way out of that? That's something he that pulled I pulled a he pulled a McGruber, just did a bunch of arm rips. And just Perfect. ripped every arm. I, yeah, right. Show it. Yeah, I agree. And then, but then he also is like walking back, uh, all cool, like, and is just getting shot over and over and he's just like uh uh and it was like oh dude you're about to die and yeah and then we get the classic line which i was like uh oh we're about to get the book of kersant and he goes you could use a back to tank and i was like no no kersant do not go in that back to tank please <laughs> i don't know man his life story would be pretty interesting to watch yeah it would i'd love to see him and that would be a cool show would be a gladiator ring honestly um there was a recent comic book run called war of the bounty hunters that was about uh what happened after boba fett Basically, it takes place right after Empire. Boba has the um, uh, Solo and loses him. And he, like, lands on some planet. And he ha- the, the, opening scene, the opening issue, he fights in a gladiatorial ring and just destroys everybody. But while he's there, they steal Han Solo. And so the whole rest of it is him, plus the Star Wars peeps, Luke Leia and them, uh, plus some bounty hunters, Dr. Afra and Darth Vader are all trying to get Han Solo's carbonite. And so basically by the end of it, you know, Boba Fett gets it right, because that's what happens in the movies. But I was like, that would have been a cool show to kind that's of cool. see as a story. Right. And that's by Charles Sewell as well. So, I you know, I love it's, Charles it's Sewell, anything he writes in the Star Wars world. If you've got Marvel Unlimited, the whole thing's on there. It's uh, it's really good. But but yeah, so I was kind of had some of those feelings as I was watching. I was like, man, that would have been pretty cool. Um, again, I loved seeing the Rancor wreck shop. But at the same time, like we said, it it, it came out of nowhere. But at the same time, I kept thinking to myself, like, that's the only reason the droids are here is mm-hmm. like they were like, how can we get the Rancor to be in this final scene? Oh, make some big droids that have shields like you could have the easily saved that for another season or saved that for some other moment and had him just working on training this Rancor would have made way more sense. Uh, but again, it was still cool, like getting to see him King Kong his way up the side of that tower was awesome. And then obviously seeing Grogu calm him down at the end was fantastic. Uh, but let's let's take a pause. You know, we're talking about a lot of issues. Let's talk about something I know we both loved, which is him landing on the back of that uh, that cart and Grogu pops up out of the thing and we just get you can't Jumped see it but he arm. is so happy to see him grogu is and and mandu's like oh hey 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 little guy hey like <laughs> kind of busy got, right now you got my shirt <laughs> you got my shirt i love i love that I, lo- I was so happy and you could tell like again you can't see his face but you know that he was 
he was a beaming dad at that point. That's like when you you get your son some present and the next day you see him wearing it. And it's like, come on, that was just so good. All right, get back down here. I need you to hide until things are over. Like, oh, just so amazing. So good. Yep. yep. And then and then Pelly saying everything that the entire Star Wars fan, but Grogu, that's a terrible name. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> very, 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 very meta there. I'm not going to call you that. Yeah, like I, it really took me out of it when Din called it like the shirt. Like, I mean, I'm I fine with it, but it was like we've never said the word shirt in Star Wars before. So, yeah, I didn't, and I didn't catch it until I think you'd pointed it out. And I was like, yo, that's actually really funny that he called it that. But <laughs> I guess that's what they call shirts in the, in the Star Wars universe. Maybe Frodo just wore a shirt too. Yeah, exactly. A mithril shirt. Um, yeah, some interesting little, that's actually, I thought about that when he was wearing that. I'm like, yeah, he's like little Frodo right now. I hope a, a little, an orc, the rancor stabs him with the, the, uh, <laughs> the spear. Uh, that would have been funny. Uh, I'm looking through here to see if there's any, oh yeah. So final thing we can talk about with this is Cad Bane shows up at the very end out of nowhere. I have one and, more complaint about oh, the rancor. If you yeah, go for it. I'll allow the it. Sizing was not consistent for the rancor. Like we see him in the distance and he looks like he's like the size of Godzilla. And then there's another part where he shows up and he doesn't look that big. Like he just, his hand looks like massive and then it's not like the sizing did not remain consistent with the Rancor at all. I'm glad you liked the King Kong bit. It did not work for me much at all. And I only liked it cause I like King Kong. So exactly. other than that, yeah, I was like, Oh, I see what they're doing there. But again, <laughs> you know, he, he clearly, he had the, uh, he got the Batman venom put in him and he was just really antsy to get some stuff done <laughs> and he needed to get a calm down from Grogu. I love Grogu uh, getting over there and kind of just, sitting and nestling himself next to him too that was getting real low big guy exactly yes Uh, also i thought it was really cool too Uh, i don't we didn't talk about it but when grogu takes out the droid and you're like what is he doing the ball bearing yeah Yeah. it was like what are you doing dude like you can't it's a whole droid and then it was like no that's again really smart jedi training you do not need to take apart the droid you just need to remove a key piece of the droid i love that i thought that was really cool yeah i like that too um, but obviously they win. Ca- uh, Cad Bane shows up. We get the classic Boba Fett thing, which uh, is him saying, oh, you're going to be nothing more than a villain. And he's like, that's not what I think. And then, you know, takes him out, stabs him with his uh, stab. I thought it was fine. I was really hoping. Well, no, I was, about to say, I was really hoping for a standoff. We got that. Boba Fett is not as fast as Cad Bane. That's fine. He's he's had a lot going on. He's been in an entire battle. Cad Bane's been resting in a back to tank this whole time for all we know. Um, so that was fine. He kills him, uh, which kind of bummed me out only in the sense that I wanted more of him, but I also loved that he killed him because again, all of these shows, they're so big on, oh yeah, he might be dead, but here he comes back. We got him in a back to tank. I, I would like for Cad Bane to just be dead. That'd be cool. But maybe we get flashbacks of him later. Yeah, I think Cad Bane's dead, but now he's been introduced in a live action standpoint, and it's not like we're never going to explore anything in the timeline pre-Mandalorian Book of Boba Fett days either. So he can pop up somewhere else. I mean, I don't think he's going to pop up in Kenobi. It would make a lot of sense if he popped up in Andor somewhere, Um, even if he's doing work for the Rebels at some point. I think that would be really interesting. But now you've introduced this character into the greater live action world to more fans. So if if Cad Bane was going to die, it had to be at the hands of Boba Fett. So like I'm okay yeah. with it. like I do think he's dead and I think he's gonna stay dead. Um 
from that standpoint, I also don't think it's the last time we're going to see him in live action because we'll explore earlier time periods. Yeah, and we won't even need to address that it's a flashback because in those sequences, his hat will be bigger. So we'll there know. You go. Perfect. Yeah, Perfect. exactly. Yeah. Uh, so the episode ends with, again, the underutilized Fennec Shan doing all of the dirty work for Boba Fett in terms of, again, if you had any questions as to how little these bad guys mattered. Uh, let's have a credit, like we can call it a post-credit scene, but uh, basically one of the epilogues of the episode of her showing up total badass, kills every single one of them, including the mayor, which I'm totally down for, but also didn't make sense. Was that a room that had a skylight, a ceiling? How was she shooting people from up there? Uh, but regardless, doesn't matter. I don't care. They're all dead. Great. So we cleaned up house on that. Tatooine is safe at this point and under the watchful eye of Boba Fett. I just needed a hologram on the table of who the Pikes were talking to, who the Pikes were reporting to. Right. Like, exactly. All I just needed was a hologram of, I didn't even have to be Kira. Like it could be literally anybody, but having some sort of boss off planet would have made everything else so much better from a Pike standpoint. Or maybe he, he just is sitting there and he goes, Oh man, Crimson Dawn is going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's it. And then he gets shot in the head. Uh, yeah, that would have been great. Uh, so I'm looking here. Last thing, like I said, we, uh, uh, we talked about the very beginning of this and I really appreciated the show doing this. And I know Robert Rodriguez was wanting this anyway, him saying, I want to rule out of respect, not out of fear. He is now walking through the streets of Tatooine and they are all cheering him, praising his name, uh, giving him little hand gestures and showing their respect to him, giving him food and fruits. Uh, I loved that. I thought that was really cool. And I, I don't remember if uh, Fennec calls anything out, but then we get the classic. Everyone shows up. Kersantan comes out of one alleyway. The mods scoot in from another alleyway. And it was like, yeah, we get it. You guys are all a group. That sounds good. Uh, but at the same time, we get something even cooler, which is, again, the N1 Starfighter him taking off. Grogu is in the back, banging the little ball on the, on the door. And uh, it's funny, my cousin was like, is he trying, he said, is he trying to tell him to go back to Luke? And I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, no. And I said, why don't you just keep watching? And then uh, he's like, oh, I get it. Nice, nice. Yeah, he loves that speed. He just always that. He does. He's like Ricky Bobby. I love that. <laughs> uh, and then we get, we do get a post-credit scene in here of, uh, again, pretty ironic too, that the last scene of the Book of Boba Fett is of Mandalorian. <laughs> Before the credits, right? Oh, before, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, what do you, what do you mean? But now, I, yeah, I know what you mean. That's, well, that I, was I, them acknowledging that we get it. That was your hey, favorite part of this show. And that's yeah, fine. Our guy. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, but we get a post-credit scene of Cobb Vamp now in the back of the tank. Not only that, but we get Thunderbolt Cap back as the, uh, the mod man uh, in there. So we know for a fact uh, that he will be 100% healed with some mods to go with it, uh, which is interesting because... I, I don't know anything about Cobb Vance. Do you know anything? Uh, I know a little bit. I have read. I, I, are you allowed to say I've read? I've listened to the Aftermath. <laughs> so he is he is part of that. Is so that the, canon? The Star Wars Aftermath series is canon. Yep. And is that so, take place before or after this? It is post Return of the Jedi pre this. Okay. Because I was just wondering. I was like, I feel like yeah. is there a character that at least two episodes. Yeah, two of the books are pre this. One of them might be after this. Okay. But I'm just curious what his mods will be. Like, is he going to get a new eye? We, yeah, no, we, what's uh, it going to look like? He, he's not described as having any mods at that point. So I would venture to say all the books that he's a part of are all okay. before this. So um, to be decided. 
Yeah. So, I mean, he got shot in the shoulder. Like, I think he's going to basically need a new arm. Like, I don't think it's going to be anything. Ooh, Winter Soldier style. Yeah, exactly. I don't think That'd it's going to be, cool. be anything too crazy. He didn't get shot in the face or anything. So, what if he shot you in the face? <laughs> um, but I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to be anything too excessive. Um, he, need, he just needs an arm that the finger is a gun. <laughs> to where he just it's a finger gun that he can shoot a blaster like how cool would that be he would he would be the fastest draw in the west that'd be kind of cool but if rangers of the new republic really is not canceled and simply being reimagined away from being a cara dune focused show and we make Cobb vanth the main character with timothy oliphant i'm completely in on that i don't think um even if we do get a season two of the book of boba fett i don't expect Cobb vanth to be a main character within that show I think Cobb Vance being set up to pop up somewhere else and Rangers of the New Republic would make the most sense if that show is still happening. Yeah. I mean, wherever he pops up, though, um, Boba Fett's going to be there yep. right? because he's there and is back to tank. So that's that's kind of where we leave him off. Yep. Um, so that, that's the series. Uh, like I said, it played for me way better the second time around. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad it exists. I'm glad I'll probably watch it again at some point, too, um, as how much I liked it. Uh, but like like we were saying, I definitely would put it probably below both of the Mandalorian seasons. But I don't know. I mean, there's those two episodes uh, of five and six. I would put above a lot of the Mandalorian episodes. But when you look at it as a season as a whole, and this was the question I was going to have. So I've, I've got two. Um, well, actually, I have one thought. So this this was the thing I talked about earlier about scenery. So I thought the scenery and location second viewing was perfect. I know there was a lot of people that called issues with uh, it being on Tatooine again and everything is sand and we're always having to deal with this. But a lot of Mando was not on Tatooine. So we got to see a ton of other planets in Mandalorian. And while Mandalorian had some Western themes, this felt like the Western show. I mean, you've got Robert Rodriguez, who's famously always wanting to do Western stuff. You've got all of the sand, you've got Tatooine. I mean, everything from the characters to that, to the sand, to the concepts of a man lost, like him wandering around in the desert, like in a Western. Uh, and then also samurai themes as well. I mean, it just, this felt like the perfect Western show. And I think you can't do that on any other planet than Tatooine. So I, I liked that. Correct. And it makes the most sense. And everybody complaining about the, that Obi-Wan Kenobi is also going to take place on Tatooine. Like, yeah, because that's the whole point. That's where A New Hope begins is Obi-Wan Kenobi is on Tatooine watching over Luke. We don't know anywhere else that Obi-Wan's going to travel. So right. with your judgments a little bit, but Tatooine is the main planet and that's just how it's going to be. Spider-Man's always going to be in New York City. Stop complaining about it. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and again, not every single show is going to be based around these characters. You're getting like that Acolyte show that probably won't even be anywhere near Tatooine. That's going to be on a bunch of different planets or this new season of Mando. I don't think he's coming back to Tatooine at any point until Boba, until Boba maybe calls him. But even then, I would almost bet that it's going to be Mando now calling Boba saying, hey, I helped you. It's your turn to come help me take back Mandalore. Uh, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see it for a while. So I'd almost say when Obi-Wan comes out, save her tattooing, because that might be the last time that we see it. Yep, I, I I completely agree. And I don't think we're going to spend that whole show on tattooing either. I think the no. Inquisit I think the Inquisitors are going to be doing a lot of stuff in other places. I think it's going to, that show's going to be good, man. I mean, think about, again, think of how the, what they did with Boba Fett. Uh, the entire Mando episode is not on tattooing until the very end. 
Yeah. Uh, there's going to be stuff like that in Obi-Wan. There's going to be an episode that's focused on the Inquisitors and we won't even see Tatooine maybe, or there's going to be something with, I don't know, Kumail Nanjiani's character or whoever the other people are that are in it. And and Vader. I mean, Vader. Right. Not- yeah. Is he on Tatooine? He's got to come from somewhere. So you're going to see it in other spots too, which again, I, I think I, I like Tatooine. So I, I don't really have any complaints with that. Uh, so the last thing that I have with this was a question to you, and we talked about this in regards to Marvel as well, because um, you, you, your show on Earth's Mightiest Weirdos and on Bobby's, you do episode by episode breakdowns. I used to do that. I did that for WandaVision and Falcon, uh, but I and maybe I did it for Loki, uh, but then I stopped. I was like, I'm just going to do it as a full show, uh, partially because I loved hearing your episode by episodes didn't make sense to do them twice. Is there, like, what are your thoughts on that, though? And not on doing them that way, but just on the differences between ranking like ranking episodes episode by episode or as a season overall because when i think about it sometimes i'd say okay what's my rating of this show and i'd say probably a seven if i'm if i'm not adding any extra numbers to a seven maybe an eight but when i look at these episodes like episode one probably give that a six i'd give episode five a nine i'd give episode uh the next one probably an eight and a half or a nine so there's high episodes in there that are really high but overall i wouldn't call the show a nine i wouldn't call it an eight how do you typically differentiate that sort of thing is there is there a better way it's hard to do it really i i don't know if there's a better way especially the way we we do everything because you can't call out every easter egg and all the cool things that happen unless you do go week by week which is Kind of the kind of the the best part of doing a week by week breakdown on those podcasts. When when I look back on the show now, um, I'm far more positive. I didn't sound like it tonight. I know I didn't, but I'm far more positive on the finale and just the entire show in general than I was when I talked about the finale the day of it. When I was really sure. kind of bummed out and everything else. So having that that kind of hindsight is twenty twenty and. And looking back on it, am I glad we got the show? Absolutely. I'm super glad. I think there's a lot of really positive stuff. Even in the negative episodes that I didn't like as much, I find a lot more positives looking back on it now and talking about it in one time rather than getting stuck on the things I really didn't like. And and I know I probably didn't do a good job at, at portraying that tonight. But um, I, I doing something like this, I actually really enjoy looking back on it because you just remember the good times. Like you don't remember right. the bad times any anymore. So um, there's plenty of Easter egg stuff that that I really like doing the week by week stand uh, look back, but especially f- to your point, like if you go back and watch it a second time, you know what's coming. You're not disappointed anymore or whatever from what your expectations were. So I I do love the water cooler talk that comes with Disney Plus by doing week by week releases. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want that to be replaced, but, but to your point, sometimes it's, it's better to view the series as a whole when you just watch it all in one sitting. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of what I was thinking as well. Cause I've been testing that out where like Loki, for example, I mean, WandaVision, definitely WandaVision Falcon and Loki uh, was like, watch it the minute it comes out on that day. It's typically some of those days I was staying up late to watch it too, but then I'd watch it later in the day. And then I'd watch it the next day. And then there was a watch party. I watched, and so I've watched it four times before the next show comes out. Or I rewatched the entire season, you know, the first four episodes before the next one comes out. And then when it got to like Hawkeye and, and specifically this too, maybe with Mando season two as well, but definitely Boba Fett where I just watched the episode once and then I come back and watch them all at once. 
I found a lot of enjoyment there because again, you watch it week by week and you can nitpick some of those things. Like I didn't like this. And like you said, you can catch a lot of those Easter eggs, but then it almost feels like you've gotten that initial jitterness out of your system, right? Like you, when you see a Marvel movie for the first time too, half of that movie, you're, you're just in a trance. You're in awe of the movie. You're like, oh, this is so good. You miss a few things. You definitely miss some of the themes, but like in examples for this of like, you know, knowing the endings is super important when you're rewatching something. And so when you're watching it the first time, you don't appreciate certain things. And then for example, you know, like we say for Spider-Man, the first time I watched Spider-Man, I was in shock when Aunt May died. And then when I watched it the second time, I was in tears before she died because I knew it was coming. And that is a completely different experience than the first time that I watched it. And so like this, when I was watching it, these themes about you know radicalization and all that stuff, that did not really hit me the first time that I watched it. Because again, I'm just watching it during my lunch break. I'm good to go. I know what it's about. Now I'm not spoiled by anyone talking. I can listen to you kind of dive deep into it. And then I can kind of have almost a retrospective when I'm done rewatching it a second time. So it's really interesting. And it, it, it just makes it kind of exciting to be alive too, because you know, we have this content that we can digest over and over and it doesn't get old. Whereas there's, there's other movies and shows that you watch and it's like, I'm good. And after one showing like, eh, I don't need to see that again, but these ones just are so rich and there's so much that you can go back into and mine again. So um, it's interesting because I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I think watching it all at once versus week by week, it's per- purely preference. And honestly, I love the week by week with Disney because you get that breathing room and you get to be able to talk about it and, and have those conversations before the next one and all the speculation. That, like there's there's magic in both. Yeah. And I I mean, think about like how much you didn't like that third episode of the, the streets of Mas Vespa where like... <laughs> got to like we got to like sit on that with how much we didn't like it so then you obviously knew next week was already going to be better just because you were right I didn't didn't care for that so I really like that but to your point like if if it doesn't make you think like it's really not worth our time like and there's a lot of stuff within the radicalization that you were talking about there's a lot of life lessons that I can point back to the MCU or to Star Wars and Sure, it drives everybody else in my life crazy, but I don't care because that's what I love. That's what I love doing. But you have far more of a self-control than I do. Like those two episodes, (laughs) like episode five and episode six, I definitely rewatched those like three times the day they came out. So yeah, that's uh, awesome. But I just, man, I just, I love thinking about this kind of stuff. I'm super entertained by it, but I like looking for deeper meaning and stuff like this. And that's why comics and cinema Babu's freaking podcast, Earth's Mightiest Weirdos, United We Fan. That's why I love doing shows like this because we can give meaning to an appreciation for what these films are too. Like these people don't make these things so you're entertained. These people make these things because they want you to be able to learn something from it. Yeah. And sometimes they're teaching stuff that you don't agree with and that that is a big thing too. But when we talk about radicalization, like you brought that up multiple times tonight and it's not something I've really given a ton of thought of. And then now I know what I'm going to be thinking about when I'm going to bed tonight, because there's just a lot of really interesting stuff that comes along with that. And I just, I love it, man. I just yeah. love it. Yeah. That's definitely something that, again, I've, I think a couple of other people maybe have discussed it or maybe I'm the only one so far, but like that's gotta be a theme in one of the next seasons because yeah. it, all they're doing is dropping breadcrumbs about it right now. Like they're not even hitting it head on and it's going to come to a head at some point. It has to, especially with the differences between Mando, Boba, Bo-Katan, and how all of them view differently, like the dark saber and how they can achieve certain goals. It's just going to be really interesting to see. And, and 
again, all credit to Dave Filoni and John Favreau because they've got they've got a master. There's a master plan for sure. Well, and they and they draw well, and that's the this is the first time in a while I feel like Star Wars has a master plan, which is a massive deal for me. Oh but yeah, they drop in they drop in when Paz Vizsla is talking about uh, Moff Gideon, like he should be murdered and stuff like that. They drop in that nugget that Moff Gideon is still out there being tried oh. by the public like they do the, the call out for the mythosaur she calls yep. out as well that he'll ride the mythosaur and then also we forgot to mention uh the uh danny trejo mentions the witches of dathomir oh which was like oh need, man that I was like candy i need live action dathomir i need that's what i want as a flashback is take me to dathomir we need to get maul in the back to tank <laughs> that's what i'm trying to get <laughs> trying to get at well brian thank you so much we uh I, i'll say it i don't care we killed it tonight this was an absolute blast uh, i'm so happy that we got to dive into this show like i said i was a little nervous after that first viewing i was like am i even gonna do i even need to record an episode about this and then when i watched it the second time i was like i have a lot of thoughts and so i'm really glad that you're able to piecemeal that together you were an amazing fact checker too you got so many call outs and easter eggs that i missed so hopefully our listeners enjoyed that i know they did um, but again, thank you so much. Always appreciate having you on. Yeah, I love being here. Thank you so much for giving me the chance. Yeah, absolutely. So for all of you out there, again, make sure that you're listening to Earth's Mightiest Weirdos. Uh, Brian is doing a great job on that show, as well as Babu's freaking podcast and United We Fan. Uh, for me, I'm your host with Comics and Cinema. I'm Alex Klein. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you at the movies. <laughs>